0: this is winnipeg sports talk daily with andrew hustler patterson and michael remus
1: hey what's up everybody welcome to winnipeg sports talk daily huss with you along with michael remus lots to unpack as we get into today's show Uh, One nothing loss to the Arizona Coyotes about all that needs to be said to begin the festivities today. Shout out to everyone that's watching with us live on YouTube. Make sure to uh, hit that thumbs up button and make sure you're subscribed and to everyone on the podcast, making us a part of your day. Thanks for doing this. Even though many of you jet fans probably don't want to talk about the local hockey team today coming out of last night's miserable one nothing loss. I was at the game last night. We will break it down. We'll talk about it and and really get to the questions. Where do the Winnipeg Jets go from here? Uh, Because it ain't working right now. That was about as winnable a game as you will ever find for a team that had been overall struggling, um, dominated in most aspects of the game, with the exception of um, certainly scoring a goal Um, and you know, I know many times people like to talk about the analytics and uh, the shot share and all that. <laughs> um, this this was not a great game. Um, to pump a single sample for analytics because on paper it looks like it was a complete domination, which in a lot of way it was. But that Arizona team is one of the worst NHL teams I have ever seen. Maybe the worst team that I've seen in the league since the Jets came back in 2011. Um. And the fact that they weren't able to generate one single goal, pretty depressing. And the walk out of the building last night in the stands was the combination of many people just heads down in shock of what they just seen, especially in the third period, with about half of the period spent on the power play and nothing happened on it, Um, as well as some conversations of some legitimate anger, wondering what the heck is going on with this team. So we're going to get to all of it. Hamilton has both barrels ready. He will join us at about 1:50 today. For those of you watching live on YouTube, in about 45 minutes. For those of you on the podcast, Remus and I are going to break it down. In in about 20 minutes, maybe sometimes when things are going bad around here, we like to do a "misery loves company" segment. Uh, we were already going to talk to him he's going to fill us in on what's happening with the halves, both on the ice and in the front office. And we'll also get Mo's take on uh, the CFL playoffs. The good news is, of course. The Bombers are still the Bombers. December 5th is coming up on Sunday. And tickets are going briskly for the game. I think most people would love to see that place sold out. Um, Bring on the Riders. Bring on some of the Rider fans. But Bomber fans, before they fill it up, make sure you count yourself in. Let's get ready for what's going to be a, a great day. And, uh, you know, with the Jets playing the Leafs last, that, that night, there's the potential for it to be one of the most special days for a long time for Winnipeg sports fans, especially ones that will be doing the double dip with a 3 p.m. start at IG Field and the 7 p.m. start downtown at Canada Life Centre. But I think it's safe to say that right now, not a lot of confidence amongst the Jets nation that that game is going to turn out very well, considering what we've seen from the Jets over the last couple of weeks. And what the Toronto Maple Leafs have done after a very pedestrian start to the season. They've been one of the hottest teams in the National Hockey League. Big shout out to all of our sponsors that make this program happen every day. Vita Health, Fresh Market, Coligan Water, Manitoba Battery, our friends over at Royal Sports. Busy week for the Royal guys with all the action on the weekend, especially the Bomber game. Uh, not Corp, Little Brown Jug Brewing. Princess Auto, Boston Pizza, the Nick and Nicky DQ group, our official whiskey and the official whiskey, the Bombers Canadian Club, and our betting partner, Cool Bet Canada. We do have CFL lines. They've already moved a little bit. We'll hit those at the end of the program after we welcome in Jeff Hamilton. Uh, Michael Remus, what is going on? Uh, where's where's
2: Where's your mental level today coming out of that game last night? Yeah, people are expecting me to have the panic button here, which I had after, like, two games of the season. Um, More for the for the comedy, but I can't even bring myself um to pull up the panic button. I think it's the sad button. I I got really sad and, like, almost physically ill after watching that power play. I mean, the refs, I mean, they were legitimate penalties. Sometimes they don't get called, but it seemed like the refs were trying to help out the Jets with a couple power plays at the end, including a four-minute, and that power play was So inept, um, of getting high danger chances, they had two high danger chances on the power play all game. It was yeah, one it was in awful. the third
1: period, one in the third period with over eight minutes. I know I tweeted out it was nine, it was technically eight, it was five power plays, but the last one was only like the Seven. last eight seconds or whatever. I can't of the believe game. They,
2: they even wasted their time calling that penalty, too. But, <laughs> um, the, it was it was hard, hard, that was a hard game to watch. And you look at the schedule and you think. Oh, Monday night against Arizona. I don't want to go to that game. That's the one I'm selling from my season ticket package. And that, that was why. That But the game was all set up for the Jets to absolutely dominate. They had this no-name goal rookie goalie in. And I tweeted out, hey, you know, I remember the time Adam Werner came in. You remember him? <laughs> Adam Werner, We played two games in the NHL, came in in relief for Colorado in a game in 2019. He stopped 40 of 40. Against the Jets for a showdown. What if that happened again tonight? And for the record, I did play Shafley, Wheeler, Connor, Pionk on DraftKings, so I did. I was expecting the Jets to <laughs> to put some goals in the net, but I mean, was that the uh, 46 shots? Was that like the most harmless 46 shots on a goal you've ever seen? Without a doubt, without a doubt. And listen,
1: credit to Vimelka I mean. I mean, listen he stopped 46 pucks but i mean first and foremost he might have to get one of those new disgusting kachina logos on his jersey redone because of how much rubber hit him right in the middle of the chest and as Maurice said afterwards and maybe this is a, a you know part of what the jets struggles are uh, many of their best opportunities didn't hit the net um, you know, Kyle Connor missed a number of nets, uh, Nikolai Ehlers as well. But I mean, just everything was off. And for a game, I mean, the Coyotes were terrible in this game, folks. I mean, make no mistake about it. This was an AHL caliber hockey team that was playing last night. Um, and they showed it. I mean, they had nothing um, for the Winnipeg Jets. And really, it was one turnover by Nikolai Ehlers, which obviously Maurice wasn't too pleased about. If you watch the post game and his, yeah, uh, he, he just referred to the turnover. But his, uh, his body language when he mentioned that turnover was sort of, if you're watching on YouTube, like, mm. so we knew where he was sort of throwing a little bit of shade afterwards with that play. But to single out that one play, I think, is naive. I mean, you know, you have all of those opportunities. I mean, just first of all, at five on five, we'll get to the power play in the special teams in a minute. I mean, but at five-on-five, I mean, the Jets had the puck most of the time. I mean, they were in the Coyotes' end a vast majority of the time. But it's very strangely, were very, they had incredible difficulties getting the puck into those high-danger scoring chances. I mean, they certainly weren't spent—Pierre-Luc Dubois, to me, was the only guy that was really hungry— to create offense and to take it to the net last night. And you need more than one player doing it. And to be honest, he's been the guy that pretty much has been consistently doing that all year long. Um, And it's hard to say, oh, there's a bunch of passengers on a game that was dominated and controlled by the Winnipeg Jets so much. But it was hard not to watch that 60 minutes last night, especially if you're in the building and not feel that there was, you know, emotionally, there was something missing from the Winnipeg Jets Um, There was a step that was missing, I think, by the Jets in a game that they should have had an extra one to be able to take advantage of how much better they are than the Arizona Coyotes. And a a full-fledged lack of confidence when it comes to scoring goals right now that is really, really concerning. And that's just at 5-on-5. And then you mix in what was about as an abysmal uh, power play performance as we've seen in a long time. And there's been a few of them. Uh, that just made uh, you know a fan base walking out going, what the hell is going on? And, uh, and as I said, you can look at the analytics and you can say, wow, look at the shot share and look at the X goals of uh, all the guys. Um, that's not cutting it right now against any team. Quite obviously, the Arizona Coyotes, who, by the way, Remus came in, I believe, 31st in the league, shorthanded on the penalty kill. Uh, an area that we've talked about because the Jets have been in that neighborhood for a good portion of the season so far. They've had some slight improvements, but uh, the Jets made them look much better than they are right now. And I think more often than not, um, more than anything, it was it was of their own doing. Um, and it's very puzzling because this is a team that has a ton of talent. The defense is far better. I mean, freaking Connor Hellebuck is playing his ass off night in and night out. This team is wasting incredible performances by Halley. And um it, it's it's frustrating. And Paul Maurice right now, I don't think had a lot of answers last night after the game. Um, you know, we talked about the fatigue and the rest, and they're gonna have the day off and then they're gonna get back and practice. Um, but there wasn't really anyone that had any answers afterwards last night. And I'll tell you what, I can just tell from people in the chat. Um a lot of people
2: on the verge of hitting that panic button, even if you were too depressed to pull it out today, my friend. I couldn't I couldn't do it. But if you wanna hear like some sad stats here. Shout out to Ken Weeb for putting these into his column on Sportsnet.ca. <laughs> in the last six losses, the Jets have five goals. Uh, they were shut out last night, the third time in their last twelve, second time in the last four. The power play in the middle of a two-for-34 stretch that they were at the top of four. Now they're in the bottom third of the NHL. Oh for six on the power play yesterday. Now, one of those was like at the end of the game, but seven shots on goal. Only, and I said this earlier, only two high danger chances on the, those power plays. Um, I mean, again, we thought the problems with this team was going to be defense, throw up the defense and you have scoring, but it's since um, it seems like a switch has been flipped since the game against LA. And, you know, they were so going so well, scoring goals. You thought the team, you know, we were, laughing that ESPN had the Jets so down in the power rankings but <laughs> I mean that is that since then since the, the games against the Oilers um I, those two I mean they haven't haven't looked the same they It's an inverse score.
1: correlation. Jets are actually now 8th. Yeah. No,
2: I, they can't ge- can't kidding. generate. They're making Stuart Skinner and uh I really should respect the goal the Coyotes goalie um yesterday and Carl Vimelka, yeah. Vimelka, I had Vimelka. to learn his
1: name this morning too. I walked out of the game going, who the hell was that guy that just uh, shut us out? Oh, Carl Vimelka with yeah. 46 saves. Um, yeah, it, it was, uh, it, 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 it's amazing. Um, you know, especially when you think about what happened on Saturday. I mean, we all thought that it was rock bottom um, on Black Friday in Minnesota, a very black day for the Jets, for the team. I mean, you get your asses kicked like that and you realize that you got to travel to Calgary the next day and play a team that's pushing for first place in the Pacific. And listen, Calgary controlled the game, as you would expect. I mean, they'd been off since Tuesday, waiting for the Winnipeg Jets. The Jets, had, you know, were finishing up three and four in different cities. And God knows we've heard a lot about the time zones and all that. But it was what it was. This was a real, really tough spot for the Winnipeg Jets. Connor Hellebuck shot his shot. He backed it up. He pulled through in a third period where he was absolutely peppered with pucks, particularly on the penalty kill um, and gave the jets an opportunity to win the game. And Kyle Connor scored a goal and the jets got two points. And we thought, okay, maybe this team can breathe a little bit. Perfect timing. You come back home, you get a day to rest and recover. And then you've got the worst team in the national hockey league coming in. This was the get right game. And, and, for all the things, and they did do some things well, I mean, they controlled the puck as they should. They're that much better than the Coyotes to walk away with all of those shots on goal without any really, for the most part, I mean, there was a handful of legitimate scoring chances for the Winnipeg Jets. A lot of it was just fluff. Um, And as I said, the numbers don't tell the story of that hockey game. They tell some of the story, just how bad Arizona was, but... Um, I know. I think a lot of the uh, the shot share and all those things. I mean, they sort of flatter the Winnipeg Jets because um, they weren't clicking the way they were. They were a step behind of where they needed to be um, to compete that level. And there was a complete lack of emotion on the club too, um, and no changes as well. I mean, God knows rumors. We talked so much, and I brought the LA game up. I mean, you want to talk about why lines were changed? Well, they were really struggling. They were held to the perimeter the whole time. They went like 35 minutes with three or four shots on net. Yeah, you're going to see some things change. Last night, I thought some things might change, both at five on five and on the power play, because of. And Paul Maurice sees these things. I mean, he knows that you know so many of the shots were just that—shots for the sake of putting shots on net, and maybe you get lucky but i mean they didn't have the speed they weren't really creating very much on the rush and um and it, it was it was dreadful um and the game overall was was horrible i uh often and most people know i do buy season tickets i've got some upstairs i had my lower bowl seats last night I did walk out going, that is not one of the better $150 I've spent in my life when I think back to what the cost was at the beginning of the year. I don't regret getting the tickets. I don't regret supporting it. But man, um, you know, there was a lot of people with a bad taste in their mouth walking out of the game last night. And I would imagine a lot of the players do. But never mind the bad taste in your mouth. I think there's got to be long, hard questions as to what this team is doing and what they need to do to get back on track. Because earlier this year... This same group was looking pretty damn good. There's no injury excuse right now. I mean, I guess if you want to use the road trip and the travel as an excuse, you can. But guess what? It's the NHL. you are playing Winnipeg. That's going to happen every single season over and over again. And you'll have tough stretches of the schedule many times later on this year. What happened last night, I think, was stunning to many, many people and uh Man, the Jets have three days off to get right before Jersey comes in, and then you've got games against the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Carolina Hurricanes. And I'll tell you what, if the, they try to play that way against those teams,
2: um, it won't be one nothing. It'll be a much, much uglier final score. Yeah, New Jersey's actually just getting Nico Heischer and Jack Hughes and Jack Hughes back, so they're going to have some additional firepower. I mean, you can talk about a couple things we've heard about how you know, tired the team was because of the time zone changes, the back to backs, the tough schedule. I think what's kind of puzzling there, Hus, is, I mean, you're still riding your horses. Uh, Schaeferly and Wheeler are getting the most minutes in the fourth line, which ha- has been getting results. Um, limited to five minutes. If everyone is so, you know, out of gas, seemingly the fourth line would be much fresher. Maybe give even out the minutes. But more, I'm not sure. I think the power play, for me, the power play, you know, watch this power play, and they had no chance of scoring. They're settling for shots so far away. I mean, how many blue line unscreen shots can you take? But I watch the power play, and you watch around the league. I mean, the Jets are really hampered by not having any right shots. Um, you, you have... You know, Dubois trying to receive get Riley Nash
1: back in the lineup. Well, right. no,
2: I'm, I, that's not what I'm saying. But the way that it's set <laughs> up, I mean, Blake Wheeler's on the half wall. So he's on his regular wing. And you have uh, and so you, then you have a left shot on your left point. You don't have anyone available for the one timer. So you're just giving it back to back to the point for these faraway bombs. You have your best scorer, Kyle Connor, playing behind the net, just giving the puck to Wheeler again, so he can, I know Shafley's covered in front, and, you know, you can't, don't have a one-timer on uh, on the far side because the guy's uh, left-handed, either Ehlers or Dubois. I mean, they had, they just seemed like they are just shooting these far away shots on the power play over and over again, and, I mean, you can look, again, the high-danger chances were, were minimal. I mean, I don't know, I don't know what, what you do, um, rejig things. And it is kind of surprising that they kind of just rocked the same lines the entire time when they were, weren't were you know generating the, the high danger Three chances. Of them. Three of them, by the way. The all fourth the li- line,
1: which I thought actually was maybe the most hungry of them all, got four or five minutes of ice yeah. time and didn't see the ice in the third period. Now, of course, half that period was spent on the power play. But I don't know how those players don't get a little bit more run against a Coyotes team. I mean... I guess maybe, you know, with the amount of puck control and the amount of time they spent in the other team's end, Maurice was thinking that, hey, the dam's going to break. Sooner or later, it's going to happen. He just kept on rolling those guys out. But for the same reason why against the LA Kings, we saw a bunch of line changes. I was stunned that something didn't happen in that third period, as well as maybe switching up something on the power play. I mean, we saw it over and over again. Um, the entire third period, well, half the third period was pretty much played with a man advantage and the Jets generated pretty much nothing. And, you know, R- Rennie had a funny point last night on k He said that the power play, and I kind of tend to agree with this, in a lot of ways sucked the life out of the Jets. He said if none of those penalties were ever called, he thought that the Jets finally actually get something at five on five in the third period interesting theory i guess but you know when you do have all those chances and you can't do anything with them um it takes the air out of the building and i think it probably takes some of the air to the bench and you know maurice talked yesterday about you know where they were at the fact that they need rest maybe they didn't have a lot of air coming into the game to begin with um but it was unfortunate chuck winnipeg says my name is charles and i'm a jet season ticket holder what's up charles how does 46 shots not win a game? Well, here's the crazy thing. This isn't the first time that the Jets have put 46 or 47 on the net and haven't been able to score or have put in one goal. Um, not all shots are created equal. And right now, they're not doing the things that they need to do to create you know, odd man chances, scoring off the rush. And when they're in the team zone, um, so often they're just pushed to the perimeter. They settle for very, very low percentage shots that end up making a goal day like Carl Vemelka look like uh, a guy that's dominating a game when it was probably one of the easiest 46 safe shutouts you'll ever see in a national hockey league contest.
2: Yeah. I mean, I'm looking at, you know, it's funny. I look at uh, you know, money puck after, after the game, they have their deserve to win. o meter us. And uh, I think theirs was like coyotes win deserved to win like 10, this game 10% of the time. And I think, you know, if this was a one-off, you'd be like, okay, uh, the Jets, you know, they just got ran into a hot goalie. But, I mean, we've seen this over and over the last couple of games, uh, making Stuart Skinner uh, look good. And I don't think it's a case of the team being snake bit. It's pretty clear there's an issue where they not, they're not, jet, you know, they're shooting, settling for these outside shots, um, you know, not getting inside. The power play has been a complete disaster. And I don't know. Do you subscribe? I see a lot of people online saying, do you subscribe to the theory that this all started Hus, when they read, you know, the dubois Fetchikov connor line was going. It was one of the top lines in the league. They try to get, you know, Blake Wheeler going, which hasn't, he's got zero goals on the season now. And it seems like since that L.A. game, and I saw Scott Billick putting up stats since that L.A. game, the team has really done a 180 here. And um, uh, listen, I think it's I think it's easy to say
1: that. And I think a lot of people are sort of clamoring on to that. But I mean, we're talking about a simple switch between Svechnikov and Wheeler. The which I mean, and, and Maurice said, you know, we'll know quickly if it's working and if it doesn't, we'll change it back. And my opinion, I mean, certainly the first Edmonton game, I thought that line was awesome. They generated so much. Um, and, and not just, you know, like generating muffins, like we saw last night against the coyotes, but like legitimate scoring chances. Um, I jokingly said before that game, I was going to bet Wheeler over one and a half points. So I was paying a particularly close attention to him in that game. And there was so much that could have gone in. I thought that that was more the same in the Edmonton game afterwards, but then you got into Vancouver and into Pittsburgh and Columbus, and it was the law diminishing returns. And listen, I know everyone wants to talk about Blake Wheeler. I think we all have to realize, I mean, listen, his contract is what it is. He signed it. He earned it. He probably played it below market value and produced far beyond that for a long time. And the team made the decision to sign him. Bitching about that deal is a waste of time. It is what it is. But Blake Wheeler is no longer going to be the driver on this club. And while everyone wants to talk about Blake Wheeler, the guy I think that we need to be talking about the most is Mark Shifley, because Mark Shifley Um, has two goals on this season right now. He's got eight points in six games. Um, He at times has looked to be less than motivated, less than committed to being a guy that is going to do everything it takes to win. I thought last night was one of those nights. And, you know, Wheeler is still a guy that I think can contribute in some ways. And I think that will do that. But if they don't get the good version of Mark Shifley, I mean, the guy that goes back, I mean, you know, the best case scenario, the guy that was scoring 14 goals in 17 games against the Nashville Predators in the playoffs, uh, or as opposed to the guy that was seemingly broken at the end of the 18-19 season, and again, we haven't been around with COVID and whatnot, there was no fans in the building last year, but over this last little while, there's been some signs of that Shifley that we all thought was lost back in there, and I'll tell you what, um, Pierre-Luc Dubois has been far and away the best center on this team. I think you know, at a certain point from a coaching staff perspective, I think that needs to be recognized. Um, And whether that means putting Kyle Connor back with him and starting to ride those guys, I think he's still going to play, but there still is an element of earning it. And I'm far more concerned about the situation with 55 than I am with 26. Although I know many of you put the coach and Wheeler and Shifley together because they have sort of been the, uh, the power brokers in the team, the dressing room for a long time, And here we are. I will talk about all of that with Jeff Hamilton coming up in a few minutes on the program. So uh, be sure to stay tuned with us. Hammer coming up at about 150. We are going to head to Montreal and hook up with our good friend, Mo Khan. Before we do that, I want to give a big shout out to our friends at Vita Health. Vita Health Fresh Market. What an amazing spot. Seven locations in Winnipeg. Family owned. 85 years in the city Empowering people to lead healthy lives. Vita Health, of course, is stocked with Winnipeg's best selection of local, organic, and natural groceries, supplements, and beauty products, all at great prices. With incredibly knowledgeable staff trained on these products to help get what you need. This is the final day of Men's Health Month, um, but Vita Health always has products to help support prostate, energy, libido, stress management, and more. Uh, and of course, if you're into organic pro- produce, local grass fed meats. I remember Jim Slater did a piece when he was here I'm shopping with Jim and he would always go to Vita Health and pick up all of that. So it's good enough for professional athletes, probably good enough for you if you're trying to lead a healthy way. And my personal favorite, the great grab and go deli, delicious sandwiches, amazing salads that'll keep you on the right track. Vita Health, you can find them online at myvita.ca or uh, seven Winnipeg locations, including the newest store over in Linden Ridge. Um, And while we're speaking about uh, healthy living, you know, it all starts with uh, being hydrated and drinking enough water. And the best water around from the best people around, family-owned, 65 years they're celebrating in southern Manitoba, is the Culligan Water Team over at 1200 Sargent Avenue. You can hit them up at 694-5180. They've got it all for you and your family and your home. Water softeners, filters, bottled water coolers, bottle-free coolers whole home systems and drinking water systems, not to mention citywide delivery services and for your business, commercial and industrial water products and solutions, no matter the size of your operation. Culligan water over on Sergeant Avenue. Find out more on what the Culligan man can do for you at drink And uh, it is also the final day of November, which means you healthcare and frontline workers. If you need a new battery for the car, Give Donnie and the gang a call over at Manitoba battery uh, up until today. Maybe they'll even squeeze you in for the rest of the week. Tell them hustler sent you uh, Manitoba batteries, thanking our frontline and healthcare workers by paying the taxes on any automotive battery for everyone. That's helped us get through the challenges of COVID. And now of course the snow's arrived. Do you have your sled battery yet? Manitoba Battery's got all your sled batteries, whatever the type of sled you have, Manitoba battery will get you covered with. Most sled batteries can be found in the $65 to $75 range. Again, Donnie and the gang over at Manitoba Battery, 1026 Logan, or find out more at manitobabattery.com. All right. Much more on the Jets, and we will also be talking bombers with Hammer a little bit later on, but uh, let's head out east. It's the Misery Loves Company segment where we bring in Mo from Montreal to... uh, (laughs) Talk about another team that's going through some tough times, maybe even tougher than the Winnipeg Jets, certainly in the standings and certainly in the front office. Mo, what's going on? It's great to have you back on the show.
0: I'm well, Andrew. Uh, It is definitely winter in Montreal, and it will be a long dead of winter for these half fans for the next four or five months until the draft in June.
1: Yeah, well, I don't know whether somebody sold their soul to uh, make it through to the Stanley Cup final last night or last year. But uh, I'll tell you what, from a Habs perspective right now, I mean, you've covered this team for a long time. You're in the community. You know a lot of people that are big Habs fans. I mean, even with the challenges coming into this season, people knew it was going to be an uphill battle with no Shea Weber, with the Carey Price situation, with Phil Deneau leaving, the Asperi Kakaniami being signed and not matched. I don't think anyone could have imagined it falling apart so thoroughly and so quickly to the point that Mark Bergevin is no longer the general manager of the Montreal Canadiens as we talk here today.
0: Yeah, you know, you know it's funny because five months ago, they were three wins away from a Stanley cup. And here we are for Montreal fans that now they're hoping to pray that they get Shane Wright in the draft in, in early July of next year when it's hosted in Montreal. And now with everything being done with Jeff Molson, the owner, coming out finally publicly for the first time in almost four or five months with everyone because he had a selective media session back in the in, in the late of August, now he has admitted that, look, we need to do a complete reboot of this franchise. And now Jeff Gordon is on board. And now they got to find that GM that can work hand-in-hand with Jeff Gordon and what they want to build for this franchise moving forward. And I think now for half-fans, they just got, you know, it came to the point, Andrew, for half-fans that they just got we're done. We're, we're finished with Mark Bergevin. Nine and a half years is a long time. You're going to see the Easter Conference Final 2014, a magical run last summer for what they did. But the reality was this team was mostly smoke and mirrors under the Bergevin administration, except for one or two years of dominance. And now here we are, um, not knowing what the future is going to hold for certain players on this roster, but quite frankly, for this Montreal franchise, for its fan base, something to look forward to that, that they're going to rebuild and hopefully have a good core in place in maybe two, if not three years from now.
1: How um, w- was this a shock on the weekend? I mean, I think we all knew that Bergevin you know, didn't have another contract that said that he probably wouldn't be back. But the way that it happened, did it catch people off guard? And know, what do you make of Jeff Gordon coming in? Is this just a way to bring another guy in so they've got someone that speaks French, but Gordon's going to basically be the guy running the show?
0: Yeah, you know, Friday I was on with uh, Chris Nyland and, and and my other colleague Tony Maronaro, and we were speculating how they would do against Buffalo and, and against Pittsburgh on Saturday. And I think people knew it was inevitable, right? It's a question not if, but when. When it would happen. And I think the way it played out, where you saw Scott Mellonby resign on Saturday, that the squeezing was being done now towards Mark Brescian's loyal, uh, uh, you know, army of people that he had on his roster of of management. And I think now, at that point, when Saturday night hit around 9 o'clock, I think half fans and everyone in the Montreal media knew something was going to come up in the next 24 to 48 hours. By Sunday afternoon, we saw the official statement from the Habs saying, look, we're moving on from Mark Bergevin and cleaned house completely. And I think that was the right move, because I think, Andrew, for this fan base, for what they've expected from this team, right, we know how Montreal is, we know how Vancouver is, Toronto, Winnipeg, and points in between. It's, it's cup or bust. There's, there's nothing in between that, right? And now for this fan base, they can look forward to something. And I think for Jeff Gordon coming in, um, you're right. This could be something that it's more like we hire a, a Francophone-speaking m- uh, member, whether it's Martin Madden Jr., whether it's Matthew Jarsh, Roberto Luongo, or others, maybe even Martin Border, who knows, that they'll bring in to be someone in place here to help work with the day-to-day ops here. But I think finally for Jeff Molson, he realized that he needed to have someone that would be director of hockey operations and not him being the guy overseeing the business and the hockey aspect of it. So now Jeff Gordon in place, hopefully they're going in the right direction for what they want to build for the next few years. You know,
1: there was an interesting quote, and I believe it was from Jeff Molson. And I can't remember whether this was in a press release, uh, like a press conference, or whether he was speaking with, you know, up here, LeBron or one of the insiders. But, you know, he spoke about needing two people for the role, hiring Gordon, still going to hire a GM, and having two different voices in that room and in the decision making process and one of the things that came out was that if that had happened they probably don't go and draft logan mayu um which of course was a big black mark on the on the habs and it sort of felt like for bergevin he had bought so much um rope with the fan base and with the community from that stanley cup run that they could basically do whatever they want. And they went and did that with an incredibly controversial selection. Um, How much of that of that in particular pick and what it did to the the way people were thinking about the Habs coming off a very magical run played into Bergevin's demise?
0: Yeah, you know, it was a bad PR. I mean, Paul Wilson also got uh, stacked by the Canadians on Sunday. And it, it was a bad fumble. By the Habs, you're right. They had developed all that credit gained from the love affair of the cup run last summer, and it just disappeared by that one move. And everyone knew, right? Mayu was the guy that was was red tape, that was toxic, that was untouchable, and they still took him in the first round. And even after, if you remember, Andrew, when they had the press conference to defend the pick, uh, Trevor Timmons, who was the head of scouting at the time, he had a he had a, a a blank stare for 30 seconds, not knowing what to say exactly for an answer. And this was a complete botch by this organization. And Jeff Molson took blame for it, saying, like, it's my bad. I should have realized it. Now you're right though, right? Because what it, what it was, you had Mark Bergevin and his and his army of people that all agreed to what they saw it was one vision. What he's trying to build now, Jeff Molson with Jeff Gorton, is this. We want different voices in that room. Right. So if if MoCon's available for draft. I want to hear the pros and cons. Whether we take it or not, we want to hear every angle of what he does well and what he doesn't do well. That was something that was lacking with That look, They took a kid who unfortunately did an awful thing in the first round, who shouldn't have been drafted by the Habs. And now that cost them a lot of PR um, in terms of what they developed over the last few months. And now moving ahead here, you wonder for Jeff Gorton, if he might get rid of Logan Mayu at some point, as he did with Tony D'Angelo before, with what he did with the Rangers back in the, in the year before that.
1: Uh, Mo Khan with us in Montreal with TSN 690. Um, so who, the, uh, who are the people that everyone's talking about to come in and be that GM to work with Jeff Gorton? And uh, how soon
0: do you think that that's going to be filled? Well, if this is like the show The Bachelor, right? It's, it's like the flavor of the day, the flavor of the hour, every half an hour. Like 45 minutes ago, it's Patrick Watt. Right, people are like Patrick Wy. Well, hey, he can come in here. He's a winner. If you were, if you were asking me to say this morning, Matthew Darsh, uh, who has Montreal links through Tampa Bay, uh, has been a part of Julian Breeze-Bois, uh hierarchy for what he's done, and he's worked in different levels of management. Daniel Briere, former NHL player, he's a guy that has worked his way up the ladder from the ECHL, now he's a guy that could be in play. Uh, Roberto Luongo has been linked, of course, for from his time in Florida from him growing at that position. There is a local domestic candidate pool that they can go from here, uh, Andrew. But the reality is for this team, they got to make sure they get the right guy that fits in vision with what Jeff Gordon wants. If they get that going hand in hand, I think this can work properly. But again, you're talking about a limited pool because again, the Francophone value, what they have in this heritage of this team, they want to make sure that's forefront and present. So it's important that they do hire someone that has that strong value that can work hand in hand with Jeff Gordon.
1: You know, 6 16 and 2 on the season. Um, we always talk about American Thanksgiving and that. I mean, I mean, is this essentially a lost season already for the Habs? I mean, hard to imagine it turning around, especially with the roster that they've got right now and without Carry Price performing
0: miracles nightly in the Habs. Now. Yeah, it was over back in October. <laughs> they went 0 and 5, but it was over back in October. And I think even coming to the year, I didn't think they would make the playoffs. Uh, the turnover of the roster, guys, the foundation guys not being there, uh, Price being hurt, Edmondson not being available due to a personal issue that he had within his family. Uh, there were so many things that went against this Canadian team the moment they got bounced by the Tampa Lightning in July that worked against them. And, and now for them moving forward, it's a matter of giving Nick Suzuki the time to grow. A matter of Cole Caulfield, who has been bouncing up and down with Laval and Montreal of late to grow. These are things that they have to do now to let these young guys grow and see who can be those foundation pieces moving forward. And I think, you know, for the GM window here, Andrew, I think they're going to look towards probably the new year, if not towards the trade deadline time, to have someone in place because you want to get your boots on the ground to start developing the draft board and seeing who you think would fit from a long-term view. I think the Habs will be very active during the trade deadline. Uh, Ben Sherratt, who we know very well, former Jet, could be on the block. Uh, your, uh, you, you look at your, UL Armia, Arturi Lekanen, these guys could all be had uh, when I think those desirable traits will be looked at by teams looking to bring on guys for a cup run. So I think for, for this team moving forward, they'll have that guy in place by the springtime, but that trade deadline, I think they'll be very active to get rid of older or bigger contracts that they can hopefully get off of sooner than later.
1: Mo, I do want to talk CFL playoffs with you, but one more, and this isn't really more for the Habs fans in the audience, but more for... Canadians thinking to head to the Olympics. I mean, uh, what's the latest
0: on Carey Price? It's a really good question. I mean, back in August uh, when we were all speculating about who would be the starting goaltender, we thought it would be Carey Price. I think it's a flip flip of a coin now for his value for what he could be at Beijing. I mean, look, if he does come back, I mean, November is done practically. We're going to be December this weekend. So if he does come back by mid-December, if he puts together a a run of games that gives this team Canada management confidence that he's ready to go, I could see him going to Beijing and, and having a chance to win gold with Team Canada. But I think right now for him and what the Habs have illustrated so far with him, take your time. When you're ready to come back, you'll come back. We don't want to rush you, especially now, Andrew, where, look, this season's going nowhere, so the value carry price for them is probably meant to, is meant more for him to be healthy off of it before he comes back on it.
1: All right, Mo, let's get to the CFL playoffs. So uh, we'll talk about the West final in a second. Um, first off, um, would you make the Alouettes uh, bowing out to the Ticats in the fashion that they did on the weekend?
0: Uh, very below par. This team talked a lot. Uh, Patrick Levels said, hey, we're going to beat these guys. And if you saw the Ticats meme, uh, uh, oh my uh,
1: God. Did he get burned yeah, after the game? I mean, I guess you're uh, sort of acting it when you, when you, when you come in with that much bluster and bravado yeah. and play that way, you, uh, you have to expect it, but uh, for sure. they took full advantage of it. The Absolutely right, social media so, right?
0: And it's fun. It's the fun of the game of, of having social media like that. And look, I, I think now there's a lot of questions for this team. Kari Jones and his status as a head coach. Uh, that's the second season that he's been one and done in the playoffs. If he comes back for a third year, and they go one and done again, he won't see a fourth year for this franchise. It's pretty obvious. And and remember, Daniel Mitchell did not hire Kari Jones. That was Kavis Reid who brought him in uh, as an interim tag before uh, everything went well for him. So I think that's key for them. Where is the status of Kari Jones moving forward? Uh, The quarterback position, because Vernon Adams Jr. did not play well this year, guys. And we look at the fact they brought in Trevor Harris. If they're going to bring quarterback competition, can this be a Harris-Adams duo to go into training camp next um, next May, June? We'll see. And also for them, this the way they played against the Ticats, they need more impact players on both sides of the football. If they can address that need during the off season. they could be in play next year. But again, this was definitely a year where they thought they'd make a deep run and they were one and done instead.
1: So what do you think about the Ticats coming into Toronto? I was just, um, you know, doing the lock shop with Dustin Nielsen, who I think's pulse is just coming down to a resting heart rate (laughs) after the incredible second half of his first playoff game to call it mosaic. What a job dusty did. Um, But I mean, we talk about these CFL games every week. And I remember being very bullish on the Ticats going into Montreal a few weeks ago in a game that if they had won, all they would have had to do was finish the job in the final week of the season. And they would have one game at home to get to the great cup. And it didn't go the way I expected at all. Um, are they a better team right now? Are they in a better place? What did we learn about the Ticats cats last week? And, you know, can they go into Toronto and beat the
0: Argos after um, not being successful when it counted a few weeks ago? I think they can, because that, that road game will be a home game. I, I think there'll be more Ticat fans than Argo fans. And let's call it what it is, right? And I, I just think for the Argos, and I remember they were in Montreal not too long ago, towards the end of the year, I wasn't really impressed by them. I, I thought they had some issues with their offensive play calling at times. Uh, their defense was okay, but I just think for them, going up against a Ticat team that start to, they start to found, find their groove with what they've done in defense. If that defense can get uh, to the quarterback position of Toronto and really create havoc. I think the Ticats have a fair chance to win this football game and host the Great Cup in their backyard uh, on December 12th. So I think there's a lot of moving parts in favor of the Ticats. It's going to be on their defense to play well and really win that line of scrimmage battle against Toronto on the weekend.
1: All right, Mo, uh, Mo Khan, with us. speaking of Dusty, he will join us tomorrow on the program. He's actually not calling the Bomber Rider game this weekend, he'll be out east doing that uh, game. We've just been speaking about the Ty cats and the Argos, but he will make an appearance tomorrow in the second hour of Winnipeg sports talk. Uh, well about that Ryder stamps game. I'm um, like about as ugly as it could be in the first half, certainly for the quarterbacks involved. And, um, you know, Cody Fajardo throwing up four picks hmm. being down late in the game. I say what for as bad as he looked at times and the balls that he was through, um, what an incredible drive that he authored late in the game and, and credit to him. It almost as if he completely forgot or convinced himself that he'd th- thrown four touchdowns instead of throw intercept four interceptions because Manmo with the game on the line, Cody Fajardo came up big Um, just thoughts on the game on the weekend and
0: uh, the wild finish in double OT. That was huge. Uh, you know, that, that drive at Fajardo in the fourth quarter was phenomenal. I mean, he didn't get touched. You watch that drive again. He did not get touched. He was able to slice that Stampeder back line uh, with ease. And if you look at the first three quarters of that football game, Calgary's defense played well. They, they, they had some big moments, but again, the problem with them, those turnovers could not be converted for points of touchdowns. And I just thought, when you look at the flip side, Fajardo played well in the fourth quarter, but Bo Levi Mitchell had his yips. And think about that play, right? They, they got that big gain to make it second and one. And then he got sacked, and then it being been a time field goal. Had they converted that first down, I think they would have won on that last drive for them in that fourth quarter over the stand over the Rough Riders, I beg your pardon. So I think for them, Calgary, they were incomplete at times. I thought Boldyby Levi had some hiccups at times that did not sit well with him. He did not look comfortable in the pocket. Uh, and I just thought their defense for Calgary played well up until that point where I think they gassed out going from the late fourth quarter into the overtime sessions. And look, I don't put this on Randy Paredes because he played well at times. And I just think yesterday or on Sunday that was – that offense should have scored touchdowns and not field goals that they had to kick in that second half.
1: So it all comes down to 3 p.m. here in the Peg on Sunday afternoon, IG Field, which should be close to packed, if not fully sold out by the time we get to kickoff. Um, the Riders did not score a touchdown against the Bombers in two regular season games. I mean, they got mm-hmm. mauled by Winnipeg at home and here in Winnipeg. Um, I was stunned, Mo, that the line opened up in and around seven points. I thought this would be double digits, and I'm not convinced it won't end up at double digits by the time they kick <laughs> off because I'm not sure you could make a line big enough for a lot of Bomber fans not to hammer the home team. Um, but your thoughts on this matchup and you know how much of a chance does Saskatchewan have and what do they have to do to pull off an upset, which would be one of the biggest in recent CFL
0: playoff history? Well, let's not forget, Andrew, right? We, we talk about CFL playoffs. And there's all this unpredictable uh, that happens, Uh, a lot of twitch, a lot of jeopardy that happens during the football game. And I think for Sask to win this football matchup, it's going to be on their own line. That front five has to play well, like they did in the fourth quarter against Calgary, and really win that line of scrimmage battle. Because if they don't win that scrimmage battle, that front seven of Winnipeg, they're ferocious, they're hungry. There are a bunch of dudes on that front seven that can win a game individually speaking here. And if they don't win those battles in the trenches, it's it could be a long day for Cody Fajardo. But I've been curious to see how Winnipeg comes out of the gate because, again, they've essentially had a three-week bye week. That's what it has been for them, right? So Colaros and these guys, can they keep the rhythm going from where they were a month ago to carrying this into the playoffs here? So if they get that lead early, I'm talking about the first or second drive of the football game, and you put Saskatchewan in a trail position – I think it'd be very difficult for Sass to come back and win on the road in Winnipeg, because again, this Winnipeg Blue Bomber fan base, as you know, they're hungry to go back to the great cup in Hamilton in two weeks. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: The Argos were the only team that I think we can say legitimately beat the Bombers this year with, you know, all of their players going out. And that of course was a nickel, Nick Arbuckle game, probably his best game as an Argo. (laughs) He's now an elk. Um, But I'm interested in your perspective. Let's just say for a minute, I mean, they got to play the game. Let's say the Bombers win and are in the Grey Cup. Who do you think from the East, Hamilton, who would be playing at home, or the Argos, who beat the Bombers in the regular season in Toronto, would have a better chance of upsetting the Bombers, who will certainly be the favorite in the Grey Cup game, assuming they win the West
0: Final? I think it's Hamilton. I mean, the home field, the home crowd. Uh, you talk about the bitter taste they, they had in their mouths two years ago. And if you remember that game two years ago, Andrew, people thought the TyCats were were destined to win that great cup, and they, they got destroyed and how they were outclassed by the Bombers. I think the TyCats would be a bigger problem from a logistical standpoint of what they can present. I think Orlando Steinhauer has this team playing better than where they were, and they'll be focused because they know, like for guys like Brandon Banks, Masoli, these guys who have been with this organization for four, five, six years, this is it for them. If they don't win it now, I don't think Hamilton will win the Great Cup with this core group because they're getting the long in the tooth. I think for Winnipeg, they're in the eye of the storm of success that they could lose this Great Cup, but they can come back next year and win it again. So I think this bomber team right now is going to ride this wave here, and I think they definitely will be in the Great Cup in Hamilton on the 12th.
1: Mo, great stuff as always. Hey, just before we go, did you watch the Sunday nighter between the Ravens and the Browns by any chance?
0: Yeah, I I think Lamar Jackson was inspired by Fajardo's performance to go four INTs himself in primetime football, but that was an awful game.
1: It's hilarious you bring that up. I mean, I'm just doing the lock shop with Dusty and I mean, my football picks were terrible on the weekend. (laughs) My best bets were 0-3. The two bets that I did win was on Saskatchewan and Baltimore, and to think that the two things that came through for me were betting on quarterbacks that threw four interceptions each and not only won the game but covered the number was basically a Haley's Comet of betting fortune going into uh, going into <laughs> this weekend. I, it really was weird. But the reason I want to ask you, we've talked about the Browns before. Yeah. What the hell was Baker Mayfield doing out there? I mean, he is so obviously hindered right now by what's going on with his shoulder. I mean, in a game that Lamar played so badly, I was stunned that Kevin Stefanski didn't go to Case Keenum. No slight against Baker, but it's obviously the guy is injured. I mean, he can't really throw downfield right now, and that's just allowing them to put eight guys in the box, no matter whether it's Chubb, Hunt, or both of them in the backfield, and basically eliminating what Cleveland could do offensively. Yeah, you're bang
0: on. I mean, you saw what happened, right? The the Browns' running game did not get going at all, and and they forced Baker, I think it was like 17-37, of for like 180, whatever it was, and he didn't look himself. And I think from Baker's perspective, Andrew, let's think about it from the long-term view. He wants that second contract with the Browns. And if he goes off as I can't play, the Browns could devalue him and say, look, you're banged up, man. We're not going to pay you $40 million a year that we think uh, is going to be the going rate for a quarterback next year. So uh, he's, you know, damn if you do, damn if you don't type of position right now for Baker Mayfield – But for this Browns team, they're banged up. That O-line is banged up. To lose Conklin for the year is going to hurt that running game for them. And their defense has not played well. And they've been up and down. And they got to get better production from that investment that they put into that front seven. And If they don't do that, uh, Andrew, they may not make the playoffs. And you wonder for for Jimmy Haslam, he's quick trigger. He might, you know, sacks Stefanski and others if it doesn't go the way he thought it would have been. Because we all thought Cleveland would be a Final Four team, if not a Super Bowl team with what they did in the off year. For this season coming up.
1: Hey, just on the way out uh, over at six ninety. When you and the boys are opening up the phones, I'm sure it's ninety five percent Habs talk with the sky falling and everything that's happening around. What's the
0: number two story out there right now? Uh, the number two story is is Jeff Molson. So you have <laughs> Jeff <laughs> okay, Molson is number two, Got you. and, and the number three would be Dominic Ducharme. I think Ducharme is the guy to watch out for now from a long view of what this team is going to be. Remember, he uh, Jeff Molson is still paying close Julien the last year of his contract. So he's going to be off the books after this season. I think for Dom, du- Dom Ducharme, remember, he's not Jeff Gordon's hire or the next GM's hire. So he's now on the diving board to really perform at a high clip that, hey, he should be retained as the head coach because he signed a three-year deal with two more years left at a lower salary than other coaches in, in the NHL. Perhaps Jeff Molson and this management team will say, look, you know what? We can bite the bullet his salary, and bring in a guy that we think can be much better than what he's done so far as the a, as a head coach of the Montreal Canadiens.
1: Well, it's going to be a real season of turmoil in Montreal after a magical run to the cup final dude thanks so much always love having you on the program at MoCon 19 give him a
0: follow and now uh, let's do this again soon my friend enjoy the action on the weekend absolutely i can't wait for the cfl playoffs it's gonna be a, a fizz banger on the weekend with those two games we have lined up love that uh soccer canada q zip too by the way mo appreciate it's, it's it,
1: not not easy to find that uh, canada soccer gear but uh <laughs> you got it looking good appreciate it buddy take care man <laughs> There you got it. There's Mo Kahn in Montreal joining us on Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. All right, that was fun. We would planned to talk to Mo about a bunch of things, but of course the Jets story and the upcoming Bomber game is dominating Winnipeg waves right now. We're going to get to it with Jeff Hamilton in just a minute. But speaking of Sunday, what a huge day we've got. I know many of you want to uh, maybe add a bit of your blue and gold to the collection, maybe a good toque considering that we're going to have some winter weather for the game Pop down to Royal Sports. It is and it always will be your number one spot for fan gear for the Winnipeg Jets, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, and all of your other favorite teams from around the world of sports, NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball, National Hockey League. You name it. They've got it over at Royal Sports. And they're the hockey superstore in Winnipeg. Millions of dollars of hockey inventory. So if you're a player, or have one in your family, you can take care of that as well. And, uh, of course, they had the big snowboard sale a couple weeks ago with the snow falling. Any of you that are looking to get to the hills, they've got it all for you. Royal Sports and Kings Skate Snow and Surf over at 750 Pembina Highway. Uh, I saw my guy Trevor Knott last night at the game. I'm so fired up to get back in the knot box with the guys for the weekend game with the Bombers and Riders. Knott AutoCorp, of course, a longtime supporter of the Blue and Gold and the spot to start any search for a new vehicle in winnipeg why not get into the car of your dreams at a great price with the help of the knot team visit them down at waverly and mcgillivray and while you're there check out the new winnipeg car lab all of their services featured on their socials at winnipeg car lab on TikTok, instagram twitter and the like and of course you can also get a head start on all of it by checking them out online over at Knot.ca, but pop down and see the experts at Not at Waverly and McGillivray. And a big birthday coming up this weekend. Five years for our friends at Little Brown Jug. And to celebrate it, they've put together a new celebratory beer, the Brute IPA. Brewed just for Little Brown Jug's fifth anniversary. A champagne-like extra dry IPA with flavors of citrus and stone fruit. And they've also got some beautiful five-year collector's edition tulip glasses. If you check them out on Twitter at LBJ Brewing, you have got some uh, information and pictures of those right up there. Uh, they've also got some amazing gift boxes with the holidays pretty much upon us. All of that information is available at littlebrownjug.ca as well as new toques and your ability to buy it, your favorite beers as well. Put it together in a gift box. They'll wrap it up nice and deliver it to you anywhere in the city. All there at littlebrownjug.ca. And uh, we are going to be doing something special with the Little Brown Jug folks for the fifth anniversary coming up in the next few days on Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. So looking forward to all of that. Uh, All right, let's get back to... The local scene, Jets and Bombers. We will absolutely look ahead to the game on the weekend with Jeff Hamilton, who's done such a great job covering the Canadian Football League. Ben Hammer, welcome to the program. And pretty hard not to start with the Winnipeg Jets right now. You've been on the Jet Beat as of late, been doing a lot of games, were there last night, did the, uh, you know, if you just looked at the box score... And you saw, wow, three to one in shots. I mean, total domination by one team. I mean, you go to the fancy stats and, you know, it was like 90 percent The Winnipeg Jets will win that game. It just certainly didn't feel that way in the building last night. And you were there. And what did you make of the Jets performance, the inability to score on a goalie that was one and nine up until this point, playing in front of one of the worst teams I've ever seen actually competing in the National Hockey League?
3: The, the game center, the event summaries, all those things. I think you're bang on. First of all, thanks for having me on. Always love being on. But, you know, to your point, if you had looked at the game sheet, if you had asked, you know, the players, um, you know, if you, d- you outshoot a team 46-15, uh, you know, what would you think the score would be? I don't think a lot of people would have it one nothing for the other club. But the reality is, is that it was probably the most boring 46-shot effort um, that Ever, you know, like it just it didn't seem like, I, you know, we talked off off screen, you know, earlier about about it being an easy shutout. Now, I, I don't think it was like super, super easy, but it certainly wasn't crazy hard. I mean, I, you look back at some of the saves and, and absolutely, I mean, give credit to um, and I'm going to butcher his name, Carol Vegmelka or whatever. That's the <laughs> that's the English version. Um, if you just if you just to read it. But, you know, this guy doesn't even have a photo Um, on nhl.com I mean he hasn't earned a photo yet so uh, you know again I'm nothing to take away from him and his performance he certainly you know certainly played well it's just you know it's become a running theme with this team that it's just yeah great you can put up a lot of shots you know where are the goals and it's not like I don't know if you can say you're snake bitten. it's not like you know, it's you. You know, as much as that they had forty six shots last night, a lot of them are from the perimeter. Yes, some were in close. You know, there's certainly some opportunities there in the slot, but there was also a lot of opportunities that are either going wide, high, getting blocked, and you know, I think that's why the game was, you know, for fans was so frustrating yesterday was that the Arizona Coyotes are not an aggressive team. So it wasn't like you know it wasn't like they were you know pushing and you know pushing the play. It wasn't like they were gaining a lot of event you know offense of zone time you know it, it was just they were just kind of hanging on and the jets didn't look like a team with urgency they looked like a team that were going to pass the biscuit around you know get an opportunity get a look and just let their talent go they didn't look like a desperate club and when you and when you get that lack of response cuz i mean let's face it here okay 4-2 victory against the calgary flames saturday certainly a, you know a a move in the right direction but the but immediately went to what was the response gonna be on Monday against the Arizona coyotes and the response albeit yes it wasn't you know they didn't lay an egg per se but they didn't come out with a team that had lost five of their previous six games and were and were' playing a bottom dweller at home where they've been you know juggernauts for the, you know the last year and a bit so all those things considered this team you know comes out and says the weirdest things post game you know, How many times do we, you know, is there a drinking game yet for time zone references? Because (laughs) It's like, you'd think that the Jets were
1: the only team that travels. We banned Um, it. We banned it on Winnipeg Sports Talk a while ago, but it's been impossible not to talk about lately because we've heard it so much.
3: Well, exactly. And I mean, so at the end of the day, it's just like the excuses, they just run thin, you know? And you look at previous seasons. Yeah, they had a bit of an excuse. Their defense was a mess. They, you know, they weren't, you know, they weren't, Finding that consistent game, hell, we're five games removed from Paul Maurice saying this is the best hockey he's seen his club play, and now they're mirrored in a you know a six out of seven game losing streak, and you just you're left wondering you know like why?
1: Yeah, I mean, it is crazy because I mean, and even last week I can week, see when- the
3: comment section. I can't even see it, but I can just see. Paul Maurice, Paul Maurice, Paul Maurice, Paul Maurice, You ask the question why, and, and maybe well, that's your answer.
1: Well, and, and and I'll go back to the Edmonton, the Edmonton series. So we're basically two weeks removed from those two games. And that, of course, came out of the LA game where things weren't going well. And they did all the line shuffling and ended up with the swap of Stechnikov and Wheeler going into the Edmonton series. And I spoke of this with Remus at the beginning of the show. Um, I thought that that line looked great in that game. I thought that the team looked great in that game. And I thought that they continued it in the second game. Although we started to see what the, you know, the lack of ability to finish kind of maybe creeping in, in that game when Stuart Skinner looked like the second coming of Patrick Wah. Um, But since then there was the disappointing game in Vancouver. um, And I know, and that was sort of a time where people started to really get over Blake Wheeler. And I thought he took a terrible penalty in that game. and. You know, if there's a guy that was maybe dragging it a bit more in that game, maybe it was Wheeler, and I can almost understand that with what he's been through this year. They had just played three and four. It was a tough spot, but the penalty was unacceptable, and then, boom, it's back in your net. I mean, he was sort of becoming a lightning rod. But then you go into Pittsburgh, play a great first half of the game, you know, 20 shots to nine at one point, seemingly in control. And almost since that point, Jeff, it has been an absolute power outage for the Winnipeg Jets shut out in Columbus, uh, one basically meaningless goal that was lipstick on a pig, on the power play, by the way, uh, against the Minnesota Wild, and then Connor Hellebuck backing up some bravado talk. I don't want to say on his own, because Kyle Connor scored a couple goals, but I mean, I think we all realize, anyone who watched that game on Saturday, this was Connor Hellebuck stepping up, putting a team on his back, and earning them two points. So to come back against, against Arizona, this was a big game for the team last night. I mean, they needed to play and show that, you know, that was a, it was a blip. You know, they got that win and they're on the right track. And, you know, as I said, you can look at the box score and think that, well, well, I mean, I guess they did a lot of things right. I mean, did they do a lot of things right? Or was it just essentially what Arizona was giving them and they didn't do enough to truly generate the opportunities and scoring chances that you need to score in the National Hockey League even against a team like the Arizona Coyotes. And that is what's been so puzzling about it. I mean, the team was nine, three and three. They went toe to toe with the Edmonton Oilers, one of the top teams in the NHL two weeks ago. And since then, um, it's been a complete power outage and even players that, you know, and we can talk a lot about the Svechnikov-Wheeler move, um, players that weren't involved in that move. And I'm looking directly at Nikolai Ehlers and maybe more than anyone at Mark Shifley Um, you know, haven't been themselves, haven't been doing what they need to do to get on the score sheet. Uh, it's seemingly frustrating Paul Maurice and it's been a huge part. I know Wheeler takes up a lot of the oxygen amongst people in the chat room, but I mean, Blake Wheeler is not the biggest problem on this team. Blake Wheeler, when he's playing well, will be a nice complimentary player to the true top players and the leaders in this team. It's Dubois and Connor, and it's gotta be Shifley and Ehlers. And right now from where I'm sitting, that ain't happening.
3: Ooh. Okay. Where do you launch in there? Well, I would say that, you know, even in the Edmonton, even in the Edmonton games, I mean, yes, Paul Maurice was buzzing after that game. It was, I'd never seen him like that. He was super happy with the team's effort. Let's not forget here. They had a double minor penalty at the end that extended into overtime and they couldn't finish special teams has been an embarrassment for this club. Penalty kill has been brutal. Uh, Power play has been awful. And usually it only takes one of those, you know, one of those special teams and and it's, you know, and, and they, you know, and weeks of inconsistency to drag a team down. So when you're not scoring five on five either, it's all just kind of compounded. I mean, if you want to go, you know, if you want to lay the blame towards, you know, Mark Shifley or Nikolai Ehlers um, you know, the, these are the premier players, you know, these are the guys that they lean on to score goals. These are the guys that are, you know, have, have had years in the, in the NHL now, and they should be hitting their prime and all those things. We've seen certainly glimpses of that, you know, this season and, and previous seasons, that's fair, I suppose, but it just seems like the effort, um, and I'm not turning this back towards a guy like Blake Wheeler, but you have to ask the question now, like how important it is it to this team that Blake Wheeler's feeling good you know, about his game, not about the Jets game, about his game, because the efforts being made for a player like him, you know, you know, versus a player like Nikolai Ehlers and Mark Shifley, I would put more so towards the, the, you know, the Blake Wheeler party in the sense that, you know, getting opportunity to to, to rediscover his game. I mean, if you give that same effort to Nikolai Ehlers, is he not rewarding you for it? I, I just, I don't know if we've necessarily seen that. And so I'm not necessarily trying to, you know, turn the, the spotlight away from, you know, players like Ehlers and and, and Mark Shifley, because certainly, you know, Mark Shifley needs to be a better player for the Winnipeg Jets. There's absolutely no doubt about it. You know, how much of this has to do with getting COVID, uh, getting off the ice? You know, how much of this is between the ears and, and, you know, playing, playing, trying to play his way onto Team Canada? That certainly plays a role. It's just to me, it's just one of those things where the confidence should be there. You know what I mean? Like, these guys aren't young. This team isn't young anymore. This team isn't one of those, you know, they're, they're just trying to get by. It's just, you know, and, and whether it's a lack of confidence, whether it's a lack of give a crap, because, I mean, even if you want to go into the style of play, yes, there's like, this team is talented enough to get shots on net, you know, perimeter shots, you know, good shots, you know, good scoring chances, all those things, but they don't match the effort. I mean, the, it, it's great that you can, when you have the puck, that you can do things with it, that you're a skilled enough team to, you know, again, create space on the ice and open up different opportunities, but it's getting the puck that seems to be the problem for this team. It's it's the it's the battles, it's the puck, you know, winning those puck battles, playing like you care. I mean, on in all zones. I mean, you look at you look at, you know, a winger gets checked on the boards in the defensive zone, and all of a sudden there's two of the opponents and nowhere to be seen from Winnipeg. It's just it's almost like they're depending too much on their skill and not. Understanding, you know, the the need to be a good team in this NA, in the NHL to be a team that you know teams are scared to play against is to be hard to play against. You know, you look at Edmonton and their years. Yeah, they've had Connor McDavid, they've had Leon Draisaitl, but they've done nothing. You know what I mean? They got swept by the Jets last playoffs. It's just it only gets you so far. Talent only gets you so far. And the reality is, is you know the excuses are over. Like we 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 went like how how, how many hours have we spent talking? in the off season about, you know, addressing issues. Well, and it's the, funny and the you summer say that, Chevy Jeff. and all this stuff when it's just not
1: panning out. Well, I, I mean, you, we talk about that and I mean, we've heard a lot about the travel and the time zones and whatever, but Connor Halibut is playing at a Vesna level, maybe better than he played when he won the Vesna trophy right now. The defense is unquestionably as good as it's been since Dustin Bufflin walked out two years ago. I mean, the defense is far better. Their forward group is entirely healthy. As far as we know, they're in the lineup. Mm -hmm. I guess there is theories, and I guess I probably have time for it, that both Wheeler and Shifley maybe are suffering a little bit more from what they went through with with COVID-19. But, I mean, you're right. I mean, you can't say, oh, if they can get this guy back. So then, of course, it begs the question, well, what is wrong and how do they pull out of this? Is it just a matter of a couple of the lucky shots that they put on net last night going in? The one that bounced off Melka's shoulder that Wheeler shot instead of going, you know, just onto the crossbar and over going in? That's going to change it? I mean, I, I don't see it that way. So you've got coaching or you've got players. And... You know, and I said, we've talked a lot about Blake Wheeler and a lot of people are focusing on Blake Wheeler. But to me, when we're talking about the three guys that are the, that are basically the top of the food chain with this team and have been so for the better part of the last half decade plus, it's Paul Maurice, it's Mark Shifley, and it's Blake Wheeler. We know where Wheeler is right now. And, you know, his contract makes it that he's not going anywhere. Um, and over the course of this next little while, he'll probably settle into far more of a middle six role, I would say, than, you know, than being on the top line. There's no evidence Paul, of that, but yeah, but, I, I agree. But, well, I mean, I just think that as we, uh, yeah, right now, no kidding. I mean, we just saw Connor schifley and Wheeler put back together and, you know, there they were last night playing a ton of minutes. And, you know, I think desperate times call for desperate measures. And that was a desperate move by Paul Maurice, considering what we've seen from this t- club, certainly in the first 15 games where they won all these games, including many games without those guys in the lineup. But if you've got the coach, and then you've got those players. And I said I kind of take Wheeler out of it because I don't think that's a movable asset. But I really do wonder about Mark Shifley. And, and just back to Shifley, while we you know, kind of obsess over the Svechnikov Wheeler move, I mean, all that time, Shifley was playing with Ehlers and Kyle Connor. And I, for one, for a long time, especially when we saw the way Dubois and Connor were playing together, thought, this is great. Finally, we're seeing Ehlers and Shifley play together. And we just didn't see the results. And You know, Maurice pulled the trigger on it, you know, after that ugly game in Minnesota and they ended up getting a win with the Connor Shifley Wheeler group. But I mean, it kind of seems like things are really in disarray and a lot of the things that they were able to do earlier in the season, including a significant amount of time without either of those guys in the lineup is missing right now.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the mojo of this team is non-existent. It just, you know, I've, you know we people talk debate whether you know paul marie should have his job whether he should be fired whether they need a new voice and you know as much as first of all there's calmness in the city right so it's not just something you show up to and go hey should you be you know should i can't just write a story that says paul marie should lose his job um or that you know where his position is as far as you know i can't voice my opinion i don't have the authority on our paper to do that however there, you know we're getting to a point now where you watch a post game like Paul Maurice after last game and you go I've never seen a guy look as defeated as Paul maurice says and and it makes you wonder what the what what the issues are here is this just a message not being delivered we all know the loyalty that true North has to Paul Maurice I mean we saw that with Kevin Shevelday off we see that you know this the true North the biggest thing about them is they're loyal to their 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 people and so the reality is is you know up a couple weeks ago like in the middle of this losing streak you know of this bad hockey by the jets i don't think anybody would have would have necessarily believed in whether they whether they felt um it was going to happen or not i don't think anyone would have believed the jets would make a change but i think it's getting to a point now where as you mentioned all the you know the health this team is you know healthy all the improvements you know, obviously having a great goaltender, the improvements on defense, the mature, you know, one year older, we keep hearing, right. One year older, this forward group is, um, you know, and, and yet these are the results we're seeing. I mean, at the end of the day, this isn't a Winnipeg Blue Bomber situation where continuity is awesome. This is a situation where you've stuck with a guy for as long as you have. And the reality is, is, is they're regressing, you know, and and, and that was always going to be the expectations this season was, you know run or bust and the reality is is we're now a quarter into the season and we're seeing the jets get worse and not only are we seeing them get worse we're seeing all you know we're seeing can, we don't even know who the lines are the lines could be very might be different next game and you know you get hopefully you know, they will be well there you go right but i mean it's just been the blender I and mean, we talk about the blender you know at length i mean the blender hasn't been put put away it's been it's been sitting on the kitchen counter um, you know ready you know at the ready for whenever you're you're looking to push the button and you that wears on players I don't care who you are I mean your players are going to sit there in front of the microphone and say yeah you know that's not that's above my pay grade you know we, we all understand this is the game of hockey well not really because like you don't really see that kind of movement and the other part too is I mean again I'm not trying to make this all about Blake Wheeler but like you got to think that some guys are like, well, I want more opportunity. You know what I mean? Why aren't I getting my, you know, I'm in a funk right now. I don't love my game. Why aren't I getting the same opportunities as, as other people? And like, even Paul Maurice admitted it the other day, which I thought was interesting that, you know, at one point in time, Kyle Connor was, you know, kind of along for the ride with Mark Shifley and Blake Wheeler. And now fast forward to today, And now they're pretty much carrying Blake Wheeler. And so, you know, is is this like, is this how you work a hockey team where it's like, okay, you did all this for the team and now, you know, you deserve this part. The reality is, is Blake Wheeler shouldn't be leading the forwards in ice time. You know, he's, you know, and and, and making this argument that he's not old, like he's not old that he can't play in the national hockey league, but he's in his mid thirties. That's old in the NHL. He can't be run the way he's always been run. We've seen, you know Blake Wheeler regressed in the years. Remember a time when Blake Wheeler used to take the puck up the side of the, side of the boards, you know, and and get five breakaways a game and score on one or none. You know, like that was that was his old game. Now he's a perimeter guy. He's he's been banged up. He has injuries. So to look at like as players to look at that, you have to ask the question where Blake Wheeler's usage and Paul Maurice's stability as a head coach intersect. Like, that conversation needs to be had now because the moves that are being made are to, you know, to give somebody opportunity who may have been deserving in the past, but isn't necessarily deserving of that where there are guys like Ehlers and even Mark Shifley. Like, if you need to get him going, absolutely you need to get him going because you're not going to turn... Blake Wheeler today, which is a serviceable player, into the player that he was seasons ago. But you certainly can get more out of Mark Shifley. There's absolutely no debate to that. So I don't even mind the idea of giving him things that he may not be deserving of his play right now just to get him going. But I'm certainly not sticking Nick Ehlers on the third line and saying, okay, kid, figure it out. Because hasn't Nick Ehlers built some kind of you know stability here? Guys like Andrew Cobb. Have built that. I mean, if you're not if you're not going to put guys who are going to go out there and, and you know, and I'm not saying Blake Wheeler doesn't try. Is you know, try hard. He absolutely tries hard. It's just the, what they're getting from the other guys is, is is more. And it's time to it's time essentially to pass the torch here. And until that kind of happens, we're going to keep going in these circles in these weeks of trying to figure out you know one or two individuals' games at the cost of the collective team effort.
1: Well, I'll say this, and I mean I don't disagree with with anything that you've said, but I mean to me, again, it's far more about Shifley, and it's also about Pierre Luc Dubois. Dubois has been the best player. He and Kyle Connor have been the two best players at forward this year, and it's not debatable. Um, he's certainly been the most effective player at the center position, which is so important. Like last night, Dubois played nineteen fifteen. And Scheifele played 23-29. Shifley had six, over six and a half minutes on the power play. Scheifele had one shot on goal and was a minus one. Um, Pierre-Luc Brutal. Dubois has been the driver. In, and I mean, we can talk about, you know, Wheeler going up over Svechnikov. I mean, to me, that's sort of six of one, half a dozen to the other. The question about where Ehlers is playing, I think is significant. But you know what? On, on Friday night... I want to see Dubois being the first guy over the boards, taking the, you know, being, being the guy, you know, if this is a competition, we're going to play the best guy. He has been the best guy. He was by far the best guy last night in, you know, again, a very low bar when it comes to taking it to the net, taking the puck where Maurice had himself, these plays need to be generated when you're not, you know, rolling around like the globe trotters, and you got to earn maybe some tough goals in those spots. That's where he's been going. I mean, to me, it starts there. And whether that's Kyle Connor back on with him, whether it's Nikolai Ehlers playing with him. I mean, to me, again, we talk a lot about Wheeler, but I mean, Shifley is the central driving figure of that, of his line normally. You can argue that it's Kyle Connor right now, but the bottom line is Pierre-Luc Dubois is the guy that's been the most effective, that has been the most consistent throughout this season so far And you want to talk about what it says to other players when Blake, whether they try to get him going playing there. What about a guy like Dubois who has done so much this year and, you know, now has sort of found him playing, you know, a secondary role without the guy that he was so successful with and not having the success that he's had, even though he's probably working as hard as anyone and doing the things that I think the coach really wants to be done to create offense.
3: Adding the fact that this guy, you know, along with Kyle Connor carried the you know, and Connor Hellbuck to be very clear and other players for sure. But certainly one of the guys that carried this team through that period of time where Mark Shifley and Blake Leo weren't even available. Right. And and then, then you started to see, you know, kind of life as with Pierre-Luc Dubois, who's, I remind you is younger than Mark Shifley and is up for a contract soon as the number one guy. And I mean, even the attitude, like, even if you look at it, I'm not saying Mark Shifley has a bad attitude, but if you look at the post game press conferences, you know, from Pierre Luc Dubois and what he says, like, this guy is working every single day to be better. And I'm not saying Mark Shifley isn't. We all know he's, a, you know, a hockey nerd. I think there's a bit more expectation from Mark from this team, you know, like, uh, what, you know, what have you given, you know, what, what, what do you, what, what have what I earn, you know, for being on this team? I feel like there's really is a thing where it's like, I play in Winnipeg, you know, what are you going to give me kind of thing? And, and like, at the you know, when you look at I would argue that and I've argued this in the past, Mark Scheifley is a very, very, very skilled player. He's up there as one of the better players in the National Hockey League when he's playing at his best. He is not a driver. He's not a driver of lines. Like he 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 doesn't you know, he doesn't, We've you know, we've seen him in his career here. We've never seen him, do, you know, for a guy who likes to, com, you know, not compare himself, but like, you know, wants to be in the conversation with the Sidney Crosby's and the Connor McDavid's, you know, arguably the two greatest forward drivers, you know, in the last whatever, um, you know, we've never seen Mark Shifley take two guys that aren't top-end players and make it a top-end line. We just haven't seen it. That's a fact. And, you know, whether it's adding... And, you know, Blake Wheeler on his line to make up for his defensive, you know, issues or Andrew Kopp, you know, doing the same. He's kind of been shielded to the point where like, think about this. How many years is Mark Shifley in the National Hockey League where now you as a coach and I understand all great players go through dips and, and whatever with confidence that you've had to adjust full lineups to get this guy going. You know what I mean? Like you've had to break up other lines. Like I, I'll remind you, I, I asked Paul Maurice because I, just knew this was coming eventually in Edmonton on the road about the leash that Connor, how Connor and, and Dubois have. Cause we, even if you look at, if you look at just Pierre Luc Dubois, right. I mean, obviously not a great season last season, all those things that, that went into it, yada, yada, bad season comes back this year, you know, has put on weight, looks strong. Is it, you know, adopting that new age power forward kind of style clearly had a great off season. And, Yet you, he doesn't get the leash that other players have got of his caliber in the past, and you know, and 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 like taking him off a line with with Kyle Connor, like what do you think he's thinking right now? You know, they were rolling, and it, and the fact is, you can't get one goal, like you know, or you only get one goal. Yes, there was the four on Calgary, but before that, you can't even score. So why are like wouldn't you think that putting Dubois and Kyle Connor back on a line would at least get you some kind of production goals? I mean, that's what you need right now. You can play the defensive game, but the problem is, the reality is rather is that if if you tinker with the lines, Paul Maurice must think that Mark Shifley's a liability with other players. Like, so like, you know,
1: or you know, lots of things could be at play here as far as who well, he it's wants funny to play you with. bring that up. It's funny you bring that up because I have to admit, I was thinking about this last night watching the game, and there was a, there was a moment in the game where it was towards the end of one of the first power plays that the Jets had, <clears throat> which was quite anemic. And I can't remember whether Sifley got slashed or there was a stick that kind of came close to his face. It wasn't called. And, you know, he's kind of slowly skating back to the bench, but giving it to the referee. And he walks by the Arizona bench, and they are all over him. And from where I was sitting, you could hear some of the things that were being said because at the time it was pretty quiet because the... Power play had essentially sucked the life out of the building. And I wondered for a second about what Maurice is thinking about Shifley. I really do think that, especially after he signed that long-term contract, they have done everything to try to make him as happy as possible, given everything that he's needed um, to be that guy it's going to take i mean hell maurice for maurice said they were going to be building a statue of him outside the stadium i saw someone last night going hey how's that statue coming along but i yeah. do wonder i mean it, for paul maurice's survival he's got to get paul, he's got to get mark shifley going um you know if mark shifley continues to be you know on pace to be a 40 point guy that scores 10 goals in a season uh listen no one's surviving that so I sort of get it. But I do really wonder with the lack of emotion, the lack of push that we've seen from a lot of players. But we talk a lot about the leaders. We know where Wheeler's at right now with his game. If there was ever a time that they needed Shifley to step up, this is it right now. It doesn't seem to be happening. And uh, I would love to pump some true serum into Paul Murray's off the record and kind of see what he really thinks about Mark Shifley, his number one center right now. You and I both. And I think, you know, I, I but, you know, and that's, that, you know, that
3: influence that Mark might have on, on, or any, you know, top center has on their coach. um, I'd liken it to the same influence with Blake, you know, and it's, this isn't, you mentioned Mark, I mentioned Blake, because these are two players that have done a lot for this organization and have brought them to where they are. It's just, yeah, I mean, there's certainly, I think you have to think about the future, you know, and I, and, and I think there's an interesting, there's an interesting dynamic right now between how you treat Pierre-Luc Dubois and how you treat Mark Shifley because they'll never admit it but they both want to be number one they both want to be the you know the the guy who gets the paycheck we know Mark Shifley f- feels like he you know is probably a little bit bad feelings hurt feelings that he you know left a lot of money in his last contract he's going to be looking to get that and more made up in his next deal you know there's just there's certain things players think about opportunities that lead to you know there's lots of there's millions of dollars at play here and then you have to consider well what's the future of Pierre-Luc Dubois right I mean he's a guy that you want you want to keep here he's a guy you want to sign long term so you have to kind of put kid gloves on for both these guys and and manage egos that's a big part of being a coach and you know what other factors are at play i don't know maybe we'll never know you know what riffs may or may not exist in the dressing room you want to put truth serum how great would it be to inject everybody in truth serum and just have a <laughs> you know be able to be a fly on the wall in, in in a team meeting because i'll tell you what you can come out after games and say look you know we're focused on this we need to you know we need to look at the good parts we're, we're close to it you know there's no one having fun there like no one has fun when you lose six or seven games And then the questions start coming. And then, you know, even like ask Andrew Kopp, you know, like about the the win in Calgary, what that did for this team. His first answer was got you guys off our back. You know what I mean? Like, you know, like the fact that they're even, I don't know. And maybe (laughs) I'm not a professional athlete. I've never been a professional athlete. I never will be a professional athlete, but I just don't understand why, you know, like these players come out and say that they're their harshest critics. You know, that's just a cliche thing to say. You guys can say whatever you want, but we're the harshest critics. I think that this team is fragile mentally and it's been, it's been a thing for this team years ago, you know, where, where the highs and lows of a game were, were far too much that, you know, the, the, the temperature on the bench would shift, um, you know, dramatically and you would see, you know, horrible results. The jets kind of got over that, but we've, it just feels like we're creeping back into that conversation again, where any little thing, like, you know, they're not taking ownership of their game. They're just, almost like and I don't want to get cliche and say they're almost playing not to lose but it just that that whether it's confidence whether it's just whatever it is they're not dictating like they're not dictating games they're not they're not playing games you know and again more cliche stuff but it feels very true is they either play up or down to their competition whether you want to consider it playing up to the Edmonton Oilers and and battling those low scoring games or down to the Arizona Coyotes despite outshooting them as much as they did it just seems like we're getting A different team every game but the same result
1: todd for in the chat ask liney what he thinks about the pecking order and the allegiances in the room uh it's an interesting one a lot to a lot to chew on from that one um we won't don't go won't go down that road but i'm i mean i think it's quite obvious and this goes back to my original point i mean if you're going to do something significant to shake this up i mean yeah you can get a new coach um and listen, it's a popular thing. People going on. I mean, we are two weeks away from a team that was playing very, very well. And I don't think all of a sudden that switches in two weeks, but I am with you. You get more duds like we've had as of late and disappointing results and more losses. And you've already pretty much burned all the goodwill that you had from that great start right now. And now you're in a dog fight right in and around that playoff line. If things continue, something's got to happen. The poaching one is an easy part. And again, who's the next guy, how much are they willing to pay in today's market, all of that, you know, it, it all comes uh, comes into it. But I think many people, and myself included, would be, if you really want to make a significant change, you're talking about a change in personnel. And if you're looking down the road that Pierre-Luc Dubois is your number one center or is the guy that's going to be that time, you realize that Mark Shifley's got, what, two years left on a deal that he probably feels underpaid, Is going to want to get as much money as possible. I mean, if you're not sold that this guy is going to be a Jet for life, um, I'll tell you what, I mean, he would, like, with his contract and the amount of term left on it, I mean, that is an asset almost unlike anything else the Winnipeg Jets would have to put on the table. It would immediately change everything about the dressing room, I think, because even if Wheeler's still on this hockey club going into the next couple of years that he's he's in, you know, we know where he's aging. It won't be the Shifley-Wheeler show anymore. Um, and I think you have the opportunity for a very significant shakeup and one with Cole Perfetti coming around the corner, um, you know, which presumably projects to be a top six player, potentially at center in the next year or so. I mean, there's only so much room. And um, you know, I I've had this con- conversation off air with some friends kind of shooting it around. We were talking about Jack Eichel last year. Well, would you trade Shifley and something else to get Jack Eichel? I mean, obviously, there's a lot more, and there's the health issue issues and all that. I mean, you don't want to take a huge drop off at center, but if this is the version of Mark Shiffler that's happening right now, that's going to be there going forward. Um, I think for the first time, this organization, and in particular the guy that matters, Kevin Cheveldayoff, and the people that he report to, start maybe thinking of some outside the box other than, you know, we're putting this group together of Chevy and Maurice and Wheeler and Chifley, and we're living happily ever after. And everyone's staying here forever until they finally get it done at a certain point right now with many of the excuses that some of them were legitimate. I mean, what had happened on the blue line, everything that happened in the past is out the door right now. This team's healthy. We've seen them play well. And now they're they're where they are right now and nothing more damning than the power play to get back to last night. I mean, with the talent that they have, and this is also on coaching, um, but you would think that maybe, maybe some things that would have been laughed at as a possibility for this Winnipeg Jets might all of a sudden be on the table if things keep going the way they're going.
3: Yeah, certainly. I mean, first of all, I disagree with one of your earlier points. I don't, like, when your head coach is, is arguing that you're not old, Needs to come out and say you're not old, unprovoked, talking about Blake Wheeler. Blake Wheeler does not view himself as taking a diminishing role in the you know the remainder of his contract. I do not see a guy who But that doesn't is, matter. No, no, it, like, it whatever does he matter thinks, though. It does like, matter. Every though. guy should matter, think though. that
1: he's capable of playing it. But the coach needs to separate what whoever it is thinks that he's capable of and live in the present and realize what they're giving you. And if you're gonna get that opportunity, and listen, I'll 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 grant you know, a couple games maybe to try and get going. But if you've got other players that are producing more, that are playing better, that deserve those spots, especially when you're losing all these hockey games, you have to go that route. Oh, I'm not saying you don't have to go that route.
3: I'm debating whether you go that route, given what we know and what we've seen and the evidence in front of us. That's all I'm suggesting. I, it's not. I'm not disagreeing with your sentiment. I think mm-hmm. that's exactly what needs to happen. You need to pass the torch. There needs to be different voices there needs to be a different identity here um that goes beyond Blake and again Blake has done great things for this organization he you know he's a big part of the Winnipeg Jets
1: success it sucks. This is happening this week with this and, thousandth game on the weekend. Well, I will say that. But, you
3: know, and again, like this isn't a beatdown of Blake Wheeler. Blake Wheeler, you know, again, has done a lot of great things for this organization, but it's the reality of the situation. There are younger guys that when Blake Wheeler was that age would be wanting more opportunity. In fact, he'd be screaming for it. We know the kind of player Blake Wheeler was, you know, throughout his his, you know, highly competitive, knows his value, knows his worth. Go all the way back to, you know, his draft year. This is a guy that, you know, again, like, and I'm not trying to make a public. like the Jets have been going off that point. The Jets have been circling Mark Shifley's contract renewal as a major fork in the road for a while. This isn't something that they're, you know, it's creeping up on them, yada, yada, yada. They will be, they will need to make a decision, a big one, and they won't be afforded, you know, that, that final season. They can't go into a final year of, of, of Mark Shifley you know, being you know, but, you know, potentially becoming a UFA. Oh, a hundred. So, no, so, those, I mean, they, so those decisions, those decisions need to be made not even a year out of the contract. They they're starting to be made now. You know, and and so I don't think that the Jets are willing to just turn their backs on Mark Shifley, and I don't think they should. Mark has done. A lot of great things. If what, you know, I don't know if the sample size is great enough. Now, some will argue, you know, his laziness in the defensive zone or his lack of defensive game has been around for a while and they don't see it improving. Yada, yada. We've seen Mark Schifley play really, really good hockey of late. And there's no reason to suggest that what we're seeing from him now is necessarily going to be the player throughout the rest of his career. He is going to get better. But you do need to make big decisions because. You're under because with Mark's re signing to what you said and what you've alluded to, you know, on a number of points, is the identity of this team will remain in a lot of ways with his contract or contract extension. So, you it isn't just about bringing a good player, a great player at times, back into the mix, it's what he rep what his contract represents and, and how you're going for Now, we also know that Blake Wheeler and Mark Scheifele are up at the exact same time. So there will be interesting conversations as far as what that future looks like. It will be inevitable. I don't, I don't see the jets bringing Blake Wheeler back. I don't know if Blake Wheeler is the kind of guy who maybe wants to play more years than his contract. I, you know, I'm not putting words in his mouth, but he's had a long and good career. It will obviously depend on how much, you know, if he has a Stanley cup per se, which is, you know, whatever, but um, that will be a massive decision and something that's been on the, on the jets, you know, brass is, brains for a while this isn't a new thing so that is a massive piece of the puzzle and the reality is I just don't think they're looking at it the way you know either of us are looking at it right now in the sense of you know maybe push maybe leaning towards the panic button a little premature we need to consider that Mark Shifley had COVID we don't know what the long-term issues of COVID are we don't know what his lung capacity are right I mean we were dogging on Josh Morrissey all last season And then we find out that, you know, he was going through the toughest time of his entire life with the, you know, the illness of his father, you know, that he was pretty much keeping private. So, you know, Mm. we don't know what the factors are at play. And again, I go back to my, you know, earlier points. Mark Shifley isn't past his due date. He should be in his prime. There is there is something to getting him going, obviously, not just for his game, but for this team's game. But at the end of the day, it can't come at the cost of the overall team's results, or you know where you, you get you know we'll go back to one more cliche. there's no no one player is bigger than the team, and unfortunately, we've kind of seen that both with Mark and with Blake at times, not just this season but in years past.
1: Yeah, well, listen, I know that there's no talk of an extension until there's one year left in the deal, or uh, well, I guess they can talk about it, but you know beforehand. but I mean, if and a lot of people speculate, I mean, I don't speak with Mark, but I mean, enough of what he said in the media and going back the last few years, I think, has given uh, enough people some hints that, you know, he wasn't particularly happy once he signed the deal and then saw what happened in the next couple of years, um, you know, that he's underpaid. If that's been a situation, what happens when the Jets, if they do successfully extend Dubois for nine and a half a year? on an eight-year deal, and he's the guy going for it, and then there's two years left with Shifley in the mix. I guess my point is that, I mean, you're not just getting rid of a guy like that, but, I mean, the asset that Mark Shifley is right now in the National Hockey League and teams in the league that would definitely covet a player like that with two years left on his contract at the money that he's making is an incredible asset. And if you think you're going to be having an issue with this or it will be an issue going forward and you're not getting what you hope to get out of him right now, um, I think what would have been unthinkable a few years ago might actually make a lot of sense to start thinking about right now if you want it. Because as I said, even if you brought in Bruce Boudreaux, John Tortorella, like some you know very experienced coach, that doesn't, you know, that has complete control of the room, much like Maurice did when he got here nine years ago. Um, I don't think it's so easy to just completely change the way this team is made up with a new voice in the room. Hey, you might change up the lines. he might, you know, maybe you might improve the power play, hopefully. But I think all the things that we're talking about, I mean, where you want, what guys are making, how they fit with everyone else, I don't think that changes as much. And, you know, to your point, point, you kind of mentioned it, if you believe that the talent is there, but maybe there is some sort of a change, it would be completely out of the box the last couple of years to think about it. But that time is coming to make that decision. And if you think that you're going to be going that direction, doing it sooner as opposed to later, I think brings back far more value to you. Also maybe puts you in the better position to do something that I think we both agree at right now. And that's maybe tap number 80 on the shoulder as the number one center right now because he's certainly played like it so far this season for the Winnipeg Jets
3: whoa boy Huss oh boy <laughs> here we are what day is it today Tuesday November, November November Thursday, tomorrow's December 1st. November the, you'll remember the last day of November when Huss came out and and and, <laughs> and started the 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 talk about trading Mark Shifley here's the reality look like I said, this has been on this team's radar for a long time. This understanding that this is a pivotal moment. The idea of trading Mark Shifley to an average fan, to, you know, whatever, average fan. Fans in general, um, is that impossible, right? Why would you get rid of this guy? This is your first ever draft pick. This is a guy who, you know, has developed with this organization. He's he's, he's, he's developed into a premier player in this league. You know, you don't get rid of those guys. You don't get rid of top end centers. Yes. Those are all kind of true in and of themselves, but GMs can't think that way, like you know. So I'm not saying Kevin Shovelhead wants to trade Mark Scheifele, but if he's not debating or at least thinking about the idea, no, probably not this season, but in the future, he's not doing his job. So the idea certainly is there, and especially when you throw in the wrench of this is the thing when you signed a guy like Pierre Luc Dubois, or sorry, traded for a guy like Pierre Luc Dubois, you knew exactly. What situation you were getting let's not forget here that acquiring a guy like Pierre-Luc Dubois could very well be a move based on the fact you may or may not get Mark Shifley 100% so this is this whole trade is based on the future of Mark Shifley number one centers do not come not do not get you know grow on trees it's it's very hard to find them when you give up a guy who's who has clipped more than 40 goals in a season you know, and has that rare talent that Patrick Liney has to get a guy like Pierre Luc Dubois. You're not going, oh, this guy's just a you know a minor piece. This guy is very well your future. So that decision, you know, that decision to trade for a guy like Pierre Luc Dubois, in my opinion, is the Jets understanding that Mark Scheifele is going to want to take them to the cleaners. Understanding that he left millions of dollars per season. You know, in his in his current contract, and will want more, and is creating a backup plan that I think is going exactly the way they had hoped after last season's bad outing. I think the Jets are incredibly happy that Pierre Luc Dubois has refound his game because I think this is not again not this like plan to like move Shifley out or push him out. It's understanding your needs as an organization. And the challenges you have as a team that doesn't attract number one centermen in the free agent market or in the trade market very often. So, this is a move, in my opinion, to address exactly what we're talking about in the event that Mark Shifley goes, No, I want $12 million, you know, or I want $11 million a season. And, and,
2: which is totally his right.
3: Which is totally his right. Exactly. And that's what I'm saying. It's not malicious. It's not like, Kevin Sveldeff goes, oh, I don't want to give Mark. It's, Shifley. Business. it's business. It's business. You need to, you need to cover your bases. Because if you don't have a guy like Pierre Luc Dubois waiting in the wings, who just happens to be a few years younger, you know, and, and, and you lose Mark Shifley, you're kind of back to, you know, step one. You're kind of back to were So credit to Kevin Chevelde off in making that trade and understanding. And again, goes back to my point that this team has been focused on that moment in time of their organization where they need to have these conversations with Mark Shifley and, and, and his future as a Winnipeg
1: Jet. Yeah. It, it's no, it's no coincidence that, you know, the, that so many of those contracts end at the end of that year. But I think that Shif is a, in a little bit of a different situation because of everything that you mentioned about Dubois, about what happens with him at the end of this season, what it will cost to get him to sign here long-term. Um and and where the pecking order is amongst those two guys. Um, you know, and then obviously Cole Perfetti, presumably coming into the lineup at some point soon, other younger players, um, and then the other things again, and we've never really talked about this of what the asset of Shifu worth in the National Hockey League, but I can guarantee you it's significant. And if you think that you can you know, continue to be a contender right now. I mean, they're not doing it for a bunch of package of picks and stuff like that down the road and just thinking they'll be better off without them. That's not what I'm suggesting for a second.
3: Bring Lani back. I really, pardon me? Bring Lani yeah. back.
1: <laughs> a lot of people that I think <laughs> would love that, that's for sure. Um, but anyways, this I have a feeling we've opened up a bit of a can of worms. And if they go on a big winning streak, we'll we'll couch this for for a while um but they it's go on a big winning
3: streak they'll be doing exactly what they're expected to do that's the reality that's the you know that's the that's the whole point here is that it's not beating up the jets it's acknowledging that this is a talented team that needs to be playing better
1: hockey and to call it out for what it is 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 what it is amen to that hey hold on one sec i know big guy uh, nick's in the house and uh, i have to give a shout out to our friends at the nick and nicky dq oh, group no. Four locations. He was giving lots of love for Hammerin, so I figured it's a perfect time to say what's up to Nick. Thank them for their support of Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Uh, Four locations in Winnipeg. You've got the DQ in Niverville, Well, actually, just outside of Winnipeg. DQ Northgate, DQ Polo Park, and DQ St. Anne's, which, of course, now is open year-round. And you can also order from DQ St. Anne's on Skip the Dishes and Uber Eats. I'm fired up to get one of those steakhouse burgers in me, maybe a Blizzard. And if you are having a gathering, even a Christmas party, why not go with the DQ Ice Cream Cake at DQ Manitoba. Hit them up on Instagram. Nick and Nikki will get it ready for you to pick up at any one of the four locations. Of course, Boston Pizza. Uh, Boston Pizza, the scoreboard tonight. Uh, a little busy. We've got the uh, Minnesota Wild taking on the uh, the Coyotes who were here last night. Let's just say in the cool bet lines, that is going to be a puck line bet on the, uh, on the home team. Uh, Detroit, Boston, Washington, Florida, Jersey, San Jose, Tampa, St. Louis, Columbus, Nashville, Carolina and Dallas, Anaheim, L.A. as well. Islanders and Philly postponed due to COVID. Of course, Boston Pizza is the spot to watch all the games. Enjoy those ice-cold schooners, pizzas, Boston wings. And if you're staying home tonight, hit them up. Hit your local uh, Boston Pizza up for delivery or find out who's closest to you. At bostonpizza.com. And again, a big thanks to Princess Auto for their support. Man, it was so much fun following the Princess Auto teams, Mike McEwen's rink, along with Reed Carruthers and the guys, and of course, Jennifer Jones getting it done in Saskatoon. A lot of happy people over at Princess Auto, which is the place where you'll find the best deals and the most unique assortment of tools and equipment around. Everything you need to complete the projects on your list or start something new is at Princess Auto. All about making sure you have what you need to keep the work going. Shop all the great deals 24 hours a day at princessauto.com or come see him at one of the two Winnipeg locations. All right, Hammer, we went way longer than we normally do talking Jets. Probably shouldn't be surprised about that. Uh, But if you... Don't have to run. Uh, can we just quickly pivot over the Bombers? Uh, we got sure. Bombers riders, uh, a much more pleasant topic for Winnipeg fans to talk about. I can't wait for Sunday. This is exactly the way I hoped it would go. And um, tell you what, I think the Bombers should be an incredibly confident team going into this game. Uh, what do you make of the matchup and uh, how dangerous do you think the riders might be out of the Bombers dreams of running it back? How dangerous? I don't know. I
3: think it's you always have that element, obviously of the of the Prairie Showdown. I mean, first and foremost, awesome uh, final games, not just in the West but in the East as well. You know, Hamilton against Toronto—that's obviously a you know an interprovincial rivalry. You have the Prairie Showdown here between the the Bombers and Rough Riders. I think I'm I'm with you. I mean, I'm you know I'm certainly. I, I, if you're the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, I think you have to be confident. I think the Blue Bombers are confident. Um, you know, looking at that game on Sunday, that West semifinal, holy smokes, was that the ugliest two quarters, followed by not exactly the cleanest two quarters, but my heart was racing by the end. I haven't felt like that watching a game in a long time. I thought both teams were going to lose, but that's, that's not the, uh, that doesn't happen in sports. So, um, you know, overall, I think the Bombers look good. I mean, here's the thing this whole rest versus rust stuff, um, I think it's a bunch of, you know, garbage, you know, we saw, there's so much to look at uh, in the sense that, you know, everyone who's playing right now um, is injured, you know, one way or another is banged up, you know, obviously there's a, you know, variety of, of injuries and, and what you can play with, can't play with and, and whatnot, but the Bombers needed this extra week off, you know, they needed it to, you know, to reset. They didn't go back home and, and party and do things. They had a couple days, they had a few days off, got back to it, you know, late last week, you know, or watching film, Um, just excited. I mean, this is the thing about this team. And I think this is going to be the thing about this team. If they can continue to do what they're doing, if we start getting into conversations about where they stand, I mean, if they can go back to back, obviously that's thinking way ahead of things, but you know, it's going to come down to the success of this team has always been about that focus, you know, that, you know, not just a focus in, you know, assignments um, in, you know, you know, responsibilities. And what I mean by that is whether you're, you know, the bottom of the depth chart on the practice roster, or you're the starting quarterback of this team, you all feel a part of it. You know, you're a big part of the success. We don't see things happening in Winnipeg very often where a guy comes out and says, I don't like my playing time. As we saw AJ Hendy, you know, do in Saskatchewan and just walk away. We don't, we don't have a, you know, this is a team that doesn't overspeak. They don't create bolt and board material. They, they, they care about each other. And it's it's an interesting, you know, you, you often hear, you know, again, cliches that, you know, this is a close team and have never been on a closer team. Like, this is a team that is dialed in way more than any team I've ever seen. You know, way more even than the, you know, the Calgary Stampeders in their dynasty. Now, I'm not with them every single day, so it's not exactly a fair comment from me. However... This is a team that just they don't waver, you know, like you give them, you you try every single week to get them, not to get them off script. I'm not trying to say like, you know, but to get them to say something, to get them to, you know, whatever. Right. And they never do it. And so the focus and it it absolutely is the Mike O'Shea effect. um, But it's just these guys are ready. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things that if you're looking at that game over the weekend, Saskatchewan has just been a mess all season long. I mean, Cody Fajardo isn't nearly the player he was in 2019 they've battled injuries you know they they've they battled bad penalties their you know their defense has is, is, is shown up um most of the season but not all of it it's just you know when you look at what when you look at the two teams tails of the tape if you will over the season you have a Saskatchewan Rough Riders team where you still don't really know what they're they're about and you have a Winnipeg team that you kind of know exactly what they're about and so whether or not that translates on Sunday you know is obviously the big question But again, I just, if you're the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, you got to feel good about what you've done. You got to feel good about what you've achieved. But the most important part is they know that this is, you know, this means F all if they can't get it done here on Sunday.
1: Hey, uh, it would have been probably a bigger story with the stamps, but now that the Riders won, I'll have to ask you how many uh, riders are going to mysteriously end up on the injury report because they don't have a shot? None of them.
3: So they're at a hundo for player wise. Uh, wouldn't wouldn't have been the same story for calgary calgary would have been short a few guys uh, from what i understand they had a handful of guys um which improved in recent weeks but wasn't completely but from what i understand with uh with saskatchewan is they'll all be ready to go um they're all vaccinated from i'm hearing there's a coach uh, on the team that isn't but isn't like a coordinator or whatever um so that might have a wrinkle in it but not really all you know as far as vaccination statuses and you know what they could mean for for sunday's west final it looks like you'll have full rosters on both sides
1: hey uh let's for a minute um just think about the gray cup and grant me a bomber victory in this scenario um who's a bigger test for uh for the team um is it the tie cats playing at home is Hamilton. it uh the argos who you know did a number on them earlier this season the only team to i mean i think most people would agree legitimately beat the bombers with everyone on the field, a normal game, albeit with Nick Arbuckle, who's no longer on the team. But you think you think the Ticats? I think it's
3: Hamilton, and I think it. You know, it's not like I'm. You know, I was quick, obviously, off the draw there to say Hamilton. I knew you were going where you were going. Um, it's not like I think that Hamilton's some kind of superior team over Toronto, and Toronto could very well win this weekend. Um, you know, definitely their favorites. They're at home. They play well at home. Um, they've beaten Hamilton. Uh, so there's you know a great possibility. Oh, even a better possibility that, that uh, Toronto beats uh, Hamilton um, on Sunday. However, when you look at what happens the next week and Hamilton playing at home and all those, you know, all those things that come into play, whether it's the home crowd, I have a feeling the home crowd, if it is lots of Hamilton, you know, people, uh, the Bombers aren't going to be exactly favorited, but they're also not going to want to cheer for Toronto. So it's, you know, there's some interesting stuff to think about that, but all in all, it comes down to Hamilton playing, you know, in their, you know, it'd be a different thing if they were the visiting team East is home this year, right. West was home last season. Um, East is home this season. So they get the luxury of playing in their, you know, in, in their uh, dressing room, all the things, right. All the comforts, if you will, um, that you're, that you're afforded being the home team. Um, they're, they're a great defense. They have a, you know, a, a very strong front four, um, you know, Jeremiah Masoli has looked you know, good in, in recent weeks. I know there's a debate there with him and Dane Evans, but I thought he, he kind of showed up. Brandon Banks finally looks like Brandon Banks. You know, he, he struggled this year with, with injuries and inconsistency because of it. So I think if you're, you know, just based on the question, you know, I'm not saying Hamilton's necessarily the better team. I just think that they offer a greater challenge when you consider, you know, where the, where the great cup's being played this year.
1: Uh, are you hearing anything on Harris? Do you think he goes on the weekend?
3: without actually knowing 100% sure i am like 100% positive he plays and it's not it's not it's not from it's not from intel it's not from you know guys you know from sources telling me oh yeah he's going to be ready it's just a you know gamesmanship thing i do think this is a concerning injury you know i do think it's you know he's needed the time at one point i thought it was maybe just what's the point in playing andrew harris you know, for these last bit of games. Obviously, the last two games would have made no sense, but we haven't seen him on the practice field. He doesn't need to practice. I think it's important to get the other guys and Brady Oliveira and, and uh, Johnny Augustine, you know, reps in practice. So even if he was going, I don't think that would even be a big deal. He doesn't need it. You know, he's got that chemistry with, with Claros and certainly with the offensive line. I just, I come back to the question is, or, or you know, I think to myself, there's absolutely no way that Andrew Harris isn't going to play like I can't think of an injury that Andrew Harris would have well I can you know he'd have to lose a leg or an arm or something um, that would stop him from playing. So, I just that's kind of where I'm that's a hundred percent where my basis is going is just not believing that Andrew Harris won't be right. I'm
1: now. with you. And Unt- until I hear from the lips of Mike O'Shea that Andrew Harris is ruled out, I'm assuming that 33 is going to be in the backfield for a playoff game. And uh, that being said, though, that, be-
3: that being said, though, like you know, you often hear this stuff like, oh, this guy doesn't need to practice to play. Yeah, that's true. If he played last week, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not true sure. if he hasn't played. For weeks, like we've seen with Andrew Harris, so I do think we are going to get you know an indication here early in the week. If Andrew isn't isn't ready for practice early in the week on day one or day two, um, I think that that is concerning. I think it does you know my hundred um, percent probably goes down to about ninety nine ninety eight. <laughs> but at the same time, I just I, I just go back to this thing where you know given how much time he's had from when he got injured in Edmonton to now. Um And just the stakes and everything that, you know, he'd be working forward to. I think, you know, this is going to be a situation where he plays.
1: Hammer, a big fan favorite in the chat. This was an awesome, awesome segment. Uh, I appreciate you spending so much time with us. Normally you don't go this long, but uh, both of us had a lot to discuss. And I think people have really enjoyed it. Uh, fill us in on what you got coming up in the free heading into the weekend.
3: I got my CFL rundown column today where I just kind of go news and notes around the league and gossip and all that other stuff. And, and uh, you know, I look at the two at the two semifinal games. Uh, I got a Bomber story coming out today now that they know um, now that, they know that um, they're playing Saskatchewan Roughriders, what the scouting report is, and look back at, you know, some of the games they played this season. And then obviously just uh, a lot of Bomber's coverage. Um, myself and Taylor Allen will be all over it
1: um, this week and, and leading up to, to Sunday's game. Gonna be really cool. Thanks so much for doing this, dude. Uh, we always love having you on Winnipeg Sports Talk. Always a pleasure, man. Thanks a lot for having me. And uh, shout out to the, the commenters, good and bad. Commenters were loving you today. At Jeff K. Hamilton from the Winnipeg Free Press with us on Winnipeg Sports Talk. Um, well, Sunday we were just talking about the game. Uh, I know for a fact there's few one thing that I can guarantee. I can't guarantee that Andrew Harris is going to be playing. I can guarantee you that there will be plenty of Bomber fans enjoying the great taste of Canadian Club at the game. They'll be pouring that throat IG field. This Canadian Club is the official whiskey of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, along with Jim Beam, Northern Keep, Brugal Rum, all of the great Beam Suntory products that are available at the stadium. And of course, Friday, heading into, well, a game day, Jets and Devils, next time they're on the ice, as well as a massive Sunday with the three o'clock game for the Bombers going up against the Riders. And then the Jets and Leafs at 7 o'clock. Blake Wheeler's 1,000th game. We will be doing another special marble race. We'll get a hoodie out. We'll get an I Love Rye package out. Maybe something else from the Tickle Trunk going into such a big weekend. But of course, we thank Canadian Club for their support of us. And of course, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. You can pick up Canadian Club at your local Manitoba Liquor Mart. All right, let's get Remus in here. We do want to hit the Cool Bet lines before we finish up uh Remo I-, I was wondering how things would go today I knew we'd get after it right off the top and I knew Hammer would bring it uh but that was a really fun conversation well maybe fun isn't the right word because unfortunately you know sometimes these sort of struggles create some conversations no different than we've had before but uh hit a lot of topics there and it certainly seemed like there was some great feedback for Hammer uh, in the chat today
2: yeah, people are like, "Ah, Jeff speaking the truth here." I think they saw a lot of that in the in the comments. So a lot of love for Jeff Hamilton. Great conversation. It's interesting. I was listening to uh, Mike Johnson was on overdrive last week, and he kind of touched very, very briefly uh, what you guys were talking about. That he thought that it seems like Winnipeg is struggling with the changing of a guard. That you know we had the you know Dubois Kyle Connor. Seem to be the top dogs early but then maurice uh is you know keep riding with uh Sheifley and wheeler and wheeler's got zero goals on the season shafley has got two and i don't know maybe some distribution of ice time needs to change going forward i'm i'm not sure but i mean well let me let me hit you yeah. with what i hit jeff with i mean is it
1: insane to consider at this point or at some point this season or even at the end of this season depending on how things go considering that changing of the guard and the potential that Mark Shifley would not be re-signing here at the end or would need more money than maybe they'd be able to do to keep the team together i mean the thought of again unthinkable in the mm-hmm. past of actually considering trading mark shifley at some
2: point far before the final year of his contract i think a lot of it depends on uh what the situation your team is. I mean, if you're missing the playoffs this year and you keep spiraling down, then I think so. But I think in a perfect world, you'd like to, you know, you'd like to go and continue forward. I mean, this is supposed to be... Didn't Connor Hallbuck say before the season they got dynasty potential? I mean, they're going for it. They're trying to win. All the moves they're making are signaling to the team and to the fans, hey, we're trying to win now. So I think you'd want to keep that player. But if there's something in the dressing room where you know it's not working well i'm you not can't even find saying the, that it's the yeah. the dressing room
1: i mean i'm just speaking strictly from an asset management perspective and looking ahead and looking at what's happening right now i mean it's not as i said i mean if you ever consider doing something like that the asset of shifley with his contract and two years left after this one you know that's a significant mm. asset that i think a team would give up a lot to get i mean Listen, do you get that exact same player coming in in the center position? Probably not, but I think it gives you a ton of flexibility going forward, especially at a time right now when let's face it. we're looking at the Manitoba moose and we're looking at all of these young players playing the way that you know that they are right now. and you know I, I, as I said, I mean, I think that that sort of a thing well to, to Mike Johnson's point, I think he's exactly right. I think there is some struggles and um, a lot of people want to put that all on the head coach, but I think there really is more to it. And you know, as I said, if things don't get better, and listen, if Shike goes out and starts scoring a hat trick every night and he's dominating and showing that he is the number one center on this team and plays like that, well, then you can couch that argument. But with where it is right now um, and what we've seen so far this season and the fact of how good Dubois has been and what it's going to cost for this team to sign him long-term and what that might do to the hierarchy and the intricities of how things all work at some point, if you're going to change something, I mean, I guess you can just simply, and that's why coaches get fired before any of these things happen, uh, because it's usually the easiest thing to do for management. But I can't help, but think that if I'm Kevin shovel I'm looking at this in the big picture, long-term and in the short term and the micro sense with so what's happening with this team right now,
2: I'd have to think that,
1: you know, it it at least has crossed his mind to maybe consider things that in the past would have been unthinkable here in Winnipeg.
2: Yeah, I, I agree and I think you know, I think you ought to consider everything. You know, maybe you go back. I think the first thing you'd say, okay, how were we playing when we were winning games at the beginning of the year? What was working? And just try to replicate that and you know, with the uh you know, with the reuniting of Connor Shayley Wheeler, it seems like you just keep trying to go back to what was working a couple years ago and the team now I think is a bit different. And I mean, do you go and we've always talked about this too. I mean we can we're running out of time, but you know, we've always talked about do they go, you know, four centers. Do you put Lowry on the fourth line? But I mean he doesn't Paul doesn't play the fourth line, so are you gonna waste are you gonna waste him there? Maybe that should change. Do you give the fourth line some more minutes because in their limited minutes, I think they've been pretty effective.
1: Yeah. Um. As I said, it's certainly. Uh, well, we're gonna have a bunch of time to talk about all these topics all week long. To be honest, because the Jets off today, back at practice tomorrow and Thursday, we'll certainly have some audio from the coach, potentially some players over the next couple of days. We'll look to get Marad on, uh, Ken Weeb, of course, and then of course Friday will be a big day setting up the Jets Devils mm-hmm. game and all over the Western conference final Dustin Nielsen as I mentioned at the start of the show is going to join the program tomorrow very much looking forward to that Uh, before we finish up let's get to the cool bet lines for tonight pretty busy evening in the National Hockey League Um, the wild minus one and a half or minus 139 that's my favorite bet tonight considering what we saw last night from the Arizona Coyotes playing on the second end of back-to-backs other games Bruins a big favorite against the Red Wings minus 222 at home Panthers minus one thirty seven favorites against the Capitals. Panthers at home. Devils minus one thirty five at home against the Sharks. The Wild just on the money line minus four hundred. That's about as big a number as you'll ever see in the National Hockey League in a straight up win situation. Preds minus one fifty four at home against the Blue Jackets. The uh, Tampa Bay Lightning now with Brian Elliott in net. They're a road underdog plus one oh four. St. Louis land minus one twenty two at home. Carolina at Dallas. Carolina minus one hundred and two. Dallas minus one fifteen. Braden Holtby getting the start in that game, and then a little battle of California late night on the West Coast. The L.A. Kings minus one twenty seven, hosting the Anaheim Ducks, who are at plus one oh eight. Um, big thanks to Jeff Hamilton again. We went way long, but that was a uh, an interesting conversation. A lot of things that. You know, we wanted to chop up, and uh, of course, got it all for you here on Winnipeg Sports Talk. Thanks again to Mo Khan as well, Michael Remus, and everybody in the chat. If you're still with us right now, we've got you still over 250. Do us a favor, hit that thumbs up, and if you haven't already, hit the red subscribe button. Make sure you do that. We are closing in on 6,000 subscribers. Uh, would love to have you on board and turn those notifications on, too, when we go on at abnormal times, which does happen every now and then. And for everyone listening on the podcast, thanks for being with us. Do us a favor. Apple, iTunes, Spotify, can give us a five star rating and a little comment. It certainly helps at all. Or if you're listening later on, feel free to pop into the YouTube and leave a comment on the chat with you had on the episode for today. Um, folks, thanks so much for doing this. Uh, Mo, Jeff, Remo, everyone in the chat with us and everyone listening on the podcast, we appreciate you and we appreciate the sponsors including Cool Bet Canada, Canadian Club, the Nick and Nikki DQ Group. Nice to see Nick in the chat today. Boston Pizza, Princess Auto, Little Brown Jug, Not Auto Corp, Royal Sports, Manitoba Battery, Culligan Water and Vita Health Fresh Market. We'll see you tomorrow live on youtube at 1 p.m have a great night everyone and thanks for making wst part of your day
0: oh my god oh! shut it down
1: let's go home!
0: thanks for tuning in to winnipeg sports talk daily make sure to subscribe on youtube and your favorite podcast feed at winnipegsportstalk.com